Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast to officially have the Shepherd's Stamp. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I haven't thought about sex in two weeks, but I've thought about this podcast. <laughs> I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm going to put my right hand on the person who's going to talk next on this podcast. Um, this is Paul Osselson, and I thought for sure that uh, three jokes ahead of me, someone would make a joke about having dry mouth and having treatment for it and not being able to talk since we're all podcasters. So insert that joke for me here, please. Paul, <laughs> if, if you're going to make that joke, Paul, you're going to get the gorilla. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> wow, we're starting off strong already. A, a slew of Redemption Island jokes. And uh, well, again, welcome to our coverage of Survivor Redemption Island, the 22nd season of Survivor, and some would argue the most beloved. Of uh, all of the Survivor seasons, this is the 22nd. Yeah, I would say yes. that probably that argument is coming from anyone whose last name is Mariano, and that's about it. <laughs> or maybe Probst. That's the other person. All right, yeah, I, we will get into this. Uh, go, go ahead, Jay, what were you going to say? I, I, I mean, let's get into it. But but what's interesting to me about Survivor and all those things is that Survivor is like this. I, I had an analogy, and I totally dropped it, and I didn't write it down in my notes, and I'm super sad. But it, it's one of those where, like, these seasons come out, especially in this stretch, like this post-Russell era stretch, where a season comes out, and everyone at the time just goes, this is the worst season of Survivor can't wait for the next one and then the next one comes out and they go this is the worst season of survivor <laughs> can't wait for the next one and then every once in a while one comes along like you know kagayan or, or or something like that where everyone goes this one was pretty good and, and it's this sort of like recency bias or like it, it's like when you're playing a a, a a game where where skill shots are required and it's like you miss 95 percent of your skill shots and you're like fuck this fuck this fuck this and then you hit that one skill shot and you're like this game's amazing. I'm amazing. It's like you hit that one. But on a rewatch, this is how Survivor goes in the sense that every season you're like, this is terrible. Survivor Redemption Island is terrible. Now you watch Redemption Island. We're like a million seasons past for Survivor Redemption Island. It's actually not bad. It's a pretty <laughs> decent season. Well, at least starting off. Uh, and I think even at the time, and we'll talk about the concepts coming into this season and just the oddness of it all. But I will say, I remember, especially the premiere, I still think the Redemption Island premiere is definitely at least top half, if not like top 10 premieres of all time. I think it's it's really strong. It is one of those first like, quote unquote, live tribals back in an era where that wasn't necessarily happening, where there's just a lot of nonsense going on. And I think it's actually a fairly interesting season through the first four episodes, which is what we're going to cover. I think after that is when the wheels fall off a little bit. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to say it's Russell entirely, but it is interesting, correlation, not necessarily causation, that when Russell goes, the season starts to fade a little bit. I think well, that this season suffers in a lot of ways just because, well, you know what? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it all now. Paul, you talk. <laughs> well, I just want to say my thoughts are in line with what Jeff Probst said as the season was about to kick off. One, that it would be a top five season. And I don't think anyone will argue with that. And two, that uh, Sarita was uh, one of his favorites and sort of really good chance. To <laughs> so I stand, I just aligned my thoughts with what Probst was saying preseason. Yeah, I was just thinking if you went to a random sampling of Survivor fans and asked them to name the cast of Redemption Island, I wonder how many people would remember Sarita. 
I think you could show the picture of Sarita and tell people she was on Survivor and 50% of people would say, no, she was not. I think you could show a picture of Sarita to 95% of the Redemption Island cast and they wouldn't recognize her. <laughs> Unless it was a close-up on her teeth, uh, you know, they could really see that infection, but that's so for another time. What's the other 50%? Do the other 50% of people say, is Survivor still on TV? Correct. Just us old people like us. All right. As you can hear from our energy level, this is a podcast or a season in particular we've been very excited to get to. And you can hear us almost being giddy wanting to jump into it because we're not even we haven't even introduced the season yet and we're already going. So, yeah, let's just uh, lay the cards on the table. This is a season much maligned. Almost everybody hates it. It almost always shows up at the bottom of lists on the best Survivor seasons or worst. It's always considered one of the worst. And in fact, when I announced we were covering it on Historians, you should see all the people on social media who apologized for it, said, oh, I'm sorry you guys have to do that. Oh, I can't wait to hear you guys roast that shitty season. And like, I don't think that's going to be the tone of at least this first episode of the podcast, because am I speaking for you guys? I think we're all genuinely excited to talk about this season. I would say I am more excited to talk about this than I was Nicaragua, and I am less excited to talk about this than I will be for South Pacific. And I think this is something that, Mauro, you alluded to in some of our pregame talks. I think this kind of does a nice foundation for what we're going to see next season, which I think takes Redemption Island and does it better or does it right. So I know I'm taking some of the words out of your mouth, but I think there's a lot of a lot of good things to talk about here for sure. Uh, I don't. Good is an operative term. Uh, I would not necessarily say good as much as I would say interesting. There's still not a lot I like about this season, uh, particularly the the people that they focus on. Uh, Philip Shepard, all the power to you, still incredibly dislike you as a Survivor character. So it's not great to have an entire season of him, in my opinion. But I think this is going to be a little Cook Islands-y for us in terms of uh, a kind of boring season from our perspective, but a lot of interesting meta talk. I think that's where we're going to find a lot of gold in our conversations because this is a pretty foundational season for the legacy of Boston Rob, right? This is what I think vaults him into the conversation of the greatest player of all time among so many Survivor fans. This is going to set up this weird concept we get in the next several seasons of involving these returning players because we can't necessarily rely on all newbie casts. We're going to futz with the formula again for, for the first time since the outcast bringing back a concept where players are not eliminated from the game and they have to compete to come back, uh, which is going to be a big thing that bears out even to the point of season 40. So it's a really interesting moment in the survivor history that I think is going to bear a lot of fruit. Talk about the quality of the season. Maybe not so much. Uh, well, Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that this this season, again, there's there's some some hypocrisy with us when we talk about seasons, because liking a season or disliking a season at the end of the day is subjective. No matter how many lists come up on Rob has a podcast. Lists are subjective. You what you think is a good season or not is subjective. I think that what we have argued on this show is that the earlier seasons of Survivor, the production value and the, the amount of time and love that they took to craft an episode uh, and a season and the theme to make it nice and unique and fun. I, I think that, you know, that is, we have passed that point. We are, we are now on the downslope of, of survivors quality as far as all that goes. I mean, for crying out loud in these first four episodes, we get it. We get a challenge in Fabio's piss pool, you know, 
like you know we we get these repeating sets we get these repeating locations we get these sort of things but at the same time i think that some of the hypocrisy that lies with us the survivor historians is you know we have said in some of these earlier seasons yeah well you know the pre-merge is great the post-merge whoa well it's it it isn't the best but you know what the season's great or you know the the pre-merge is whatever the post-merge is really great blah blah, blah. it's Survivor Redemption Island is a horrifically uneven season. It, it it absolutely starts out great and it sort of goes downhill and it and it and it really drags at the end. And I, I think that's a, a thing where there are some really low lows on this season. There's there's just some parts where you literally just want to turn off your television, which you can't say for other seasons. However, there is some really high highs and there are great personalities on the season. We've got Rob and Russell. No matter what you feel about them, they eat up the TV. And we've got like Andrea and we've got, you know, all these sort of people that make Survivor. You know, Andrea is now a, a television personality and she was on three seasons of Survivor. And you have these sort of people that that do permeate in the screen and do draw attention. Yeah, and it's going to be really uh, interesting to delve into this because of the show that we are putting together here. Now, keep in mind, we are a show called Survivor Historians. We're talking about the history of Survivor, how it developed, which things were important, why things happened the way they did. So we're going to approach this season a little differently than most other podcasts will. And this is why I've kind of argued that most podcast that would discuss Redemption Island, I don't think would really approach it correctly because they're going to talk about it in a vacuum. Just, you know, is it a good season from start to finish? What I like about it, what I don't. I think what we're going to talk about, at least I'm hoping, is that where it kind of stands in the timeline of Survivor, why it happened, what its significance was, we're going to kind of put it in the context of exactly where it was in the overall picture of Survivor, which if you weren't there at the time, you might not be aware of this. So that's one thing that I think we will inadvertently have as an advantage over other podcasts that we're not going to talk about this season in a vacuum as if it just exists as a one standalone survivor season. We're going to try to put it into a bigger piece of a puzzle. So to that point, let's talk about it. Cause we even spoke about this, I think a bit in the, the Nicaragua reunion, right? That there were for some reason, all those random alumni sitting in the audience. It was abundantly mm -hmm. clear at the time heroes versus villains was one of the biggest hits in the show's history. And they were not particularly happy with how Nicaragua went. And they're basically saying, like, this just brought so many eyes back to the television. How can we continue to capitalize on this? And you'll sort of get that echo through what some would con consider the dark ages of Survivor, right? 21 through 24. Mm -hmm. And that happens here. Uh, it is such an interesting theme for a season. And I'll say theme even outside of the Redemption Island stuff, because in the you know, Havoc leading up to this, it wasn't about Redemption Island. This season was built up as Rob versus Russell, which mm -hmm. had never happened before in a Survivor season. So this was less so Survivor trying to strike while the iron is hot and more so like recapture lightning in a bottle of here are two big characters. They started this rivalry. How can we bring this back and sort of make it a grudge match between the two and also have 16 other people out there? Yeah, and someone pointed this out to me on Twitter the other day that I'd kind of forgotten about this. This whole era of Survivor is returning players. And they pointed out to me, if you look at Heroes versus Villains all the way through like what 27, 20, I kind of forget. But there's only two seasons that don't have returnees in this whole stretch. So to me, this is Survivor 
really starting to kind of lose faith in its formula and the game. And they really realize the personalities, the stars, the returnees are the big draw that gets fans in. So to me, this is a very, very transitional period. And again, it starts with heroes versus villains, huge flop season in Nicaragua. And now we come right back with the returning players and we're going to see a lot of them in the next couple seasons. And again, I don't think that's an accident. I just was going to say, I was thinking about this too uh, this morning as I'm getting ready to podcast. And one of the things I thought about too is there, there is, I think, a little bit of what we kind of started actually seeing in Samoa where we have, you know, we're going to put all our eggs kind of in this Russell basket. Sure, yeah. we have the other big characters like Shambo, but the show said, you know, it's okay if we load up our, our cast, 20 people, and if these people don't make a big splash – then not a big deal. We won't make them a big focus. They'll do what they do. And that's why we have, you know, the the Kellys of the world uh, from Samoa. And so it's, it's kind of funny that it's almost in Samoa, we got so much about it was Russell, his group, and then, you know, maybe Shambo. And it's like this season, it's almost like, you know, Russell's tribe is they're the ones that we kind of yada yada through and we get a lot of Rob and his group. And so I, I think they kind of started playing with this in Samoa and like Mario said, coming off of, you know, Heroes versus Villains, we kind of have this flop in Nicaragua. So they're kind of are backtracking a little bit here and saying, OK, what worked really well? And it's our big players. It's our returning players. And, you know, what? it's OK if there's um, a group of people that we don't really ever you know, spend much time on. I was just going to point out that that Survivor is doing largely what I think the entertainment industry has really crutched on all these years in the sense that, you know, they they see their ratings slip or getting to a point and they want to figure out what's going to keep the most eyes on their product. And they sort of realize that if you have returnees or people that are known commodities, it is easier to exploit that than it is to perhaps take a chance and try to create new sort of commodities. And and you will do that sort of naturally as long as you keep doing it. But if you have things with, with proven a proven name or a proven brand, that's all the better, you know, and, and around this time, this is around 2010 is when Survivor Redemption Island is, is going on. And it's it's sort of around this time where you're starting to see uh, movie studios basically say, you know what, we the original little mid-level comedy, that's not necessarily what we're about. Let's do another Marvel movie. Let's let's revive Jurassic Park. Let's you know that that is in 2010. But you know what I mean? Like they're. It's it starts to become this. What are you know? And everyone's like, why are they keep remaking things? Why are they remaking old movies or all that sort of stuff? And the answer is because it's a proven brand that they don't want to take a chance on uh, trying to do something original because it could flop. You know, with with sort of their business model. And I think that Survivor basically is like, you know, we could try to create new stars, or we could just have Rob come back. And uh, people like Rob, he's a guy. He wears a black tank top and a white Red Sox hat. Here we go. Well, we should, though, point out the original concept did not involve Boston Rob in it, which. No, but but no, but but you know what I'm saying? Like a proven brand sort of thing. And yeah, let's talk about the original stars. We hinted at this in the end of our last podcast. Now, I don't know if this is widely known nowadays. It was at the time that this was originally pitched as you know russell was the biggest villain of all time and he was taking over the show he was the new face of the show let's put him up against the old villain of the show the person who invented it so yeah 
that was the pitch for Redemption Island. They wanted Richard Hatch to square off against Russell. And they used to have interviews. I remember seeing interviews with two of them together. Mm -hmm. I'm the new face of Survivor. I'm the old face of Survivor. And that was the pitch. Yeah, I'm pretty sure during that, uh, during that like retrospective, right, right before Heroes versus Villains, like there was a mm -hmm. thing about Richard Hatch and Russell sitting together for an interview. Yeah, and that's one thing I just absolutely have to drive into people's heads here that. Boston Rob was not seen as the de facto best player, biggest player ever in Survivor history at that time. He was just some guy who was popular and he was a production favorite and he was, you know, fan favorite. But he was not seen as like the guy who would have his head on a beach in in Island of the Idols many years down the road. He was just some guy. So they wanted Richard. And we could not get Richard for a variety of reasons. Now, I'll just say a lot of people say it was because of all stars. I I don't think that's true at all. I think what happened is they couldn't get Richard. He had legal reasons. They couldn't get him to leave the country. And that was the big reason. And so we had to have someone step in. So we just get a production fan favorite who, you know, is close to probes. Everyone likes. He gives good sound bites. You bring in Boston Rob. But this whole narrative that Boston Rob is always the biggest name in Survivor history, most definitely not the case here at the start of season 22. No, although... Richard Hatch is a tough name for me to to defend, you know, because you're right. You are 100 percent right with the with the with the uh, sort of hints that it was going to be Russell versus Richard like that absolutely cannot be denied. But Richard Hatch is one of those where, you know, he he's 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 famous, you know, obviously to us as historians and people who are old school fans of Survivor. But we have literally talked about how this game is turning over. Mm -hmm. This game has turned over. And I think that Richard not being on heroes versus villains, you know, yeah, you know, is is something that that sort of hurts him in a lot of ways when it comes to sort of survivor legacy things. And, you know, even though this is you, you're totally right on on what they're trying to build this season to be um, to say Rob isn't that big of a name. Richard's the name. I would argue neither. But mm -hmm. Richard was the concept. And, and yeah. that can't be. That that can't be understated. Yeah, and and again, there's lots of back history with Richard. People really simplify it down to this All Stars incident. You know, not the not them not wanting anything to do with him. But it goes way back beyond that. There's the legal stuff with Borneo about his taxes. The producers didn't like working him. There's just a huge huge uh, monkey on the back of the producers trying to deal with Richard. It's just, it was a long history. So there was many reasons why it didn't work out. But Jay's right. That was the concept. So they decide, all right, well, you know what? We still have this revelry, which look, we'll talk about South Pacific. At least this one thing that Redemption Island has above South Pacific is a legitimacy behind bringing back its returnees to, to captain <laughs> the opposite tribes. Then they think, okay, but we got lucky in Guatemala. What if there's a chance that these two big guys, two of the biggest personalities in Survivor history, get voted out early? Is there something we could bring in to keep them around for at least one more episode, to get fans to stick around for at least one more 42-minute episode of Survivor and enter Redemption Island? Uh, the concept that I would say not only serves on three Survivor seasons, but probably I would say leads directly into the Edge of Extinction, so is responsible for five seasons of Survivor, essentially. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the elephant in the room when it comes to discussing the historical, you know, value of the season. So many people, and I got I have to say this, we're just projecting here. I don't know if this is true for a fact, but like so many people are like, well, the game had to change. We have to introduce new concepts. We're gonna introduce new strategy. I think that's such bullshit. The only reason to me 
why Redemption Island ever happened is exactly what Mike said. We have to make sure Russell and Rob stick around for at least three episodes. I, I see no other reason why they would ever do that other than this is this is kind of a precursor to one of my big beefs with the show as we get into the 30s and 40s, is that we get up to Winners in War in season 40, and I've heard, and this is I don't know if this is for true, if this is true 100%, but I've heard that a lot of the big-name winners demand appearance fees now. Like, if they want to come back on the show, the show has to pay them to appear. And that's really what Survivor has turned into. As Jay said, it's star-based, not game-based anymore. You want the stars. But Redemption Island is really the precursor to people demanding appearance fees. It's the show guaranteeing you will be on TV at least three episodes. That's really all it is. Yeah, I mean, I do not think it is coincidental whatsoever that, again, those five seasons I just mentioned, Redemption Island, South Pacific, Blood vs. Water, Edge of Extinction, Winners at War, all featured returnees in some capacity. In the mm-hmm. U.S. version of Survivor, there has never been a season, I guess if you, except for the Outcast twist, where there has been this idea, this this game mechanic of returning to the game that did not feature some form of returning players. And part of it might be satiating some egos from the players. Part of it might be satiating the fans of like, hey, like you said, we'll get at least three episodes of Rob and Russell, but... Yeah, this is absolutely causation, not correlation of this popping up in a season with these two. And I would like to make this clear. I will go on record. I will bite the bullet. I don't know if uh, you guys agree with me on this, but, you know, people ask us as historians. They see us as like these crotchety old old school, blah, 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 and whatnot. And it's true. I don't love hidden immunity idols and I don't love the vote doubler or the, you know, the, the vote canceller or, you know, all of this sort of stuff that. That, that goes on within Survivor, but y- people make the argument to me, hey, you know, the game gets stale, people understand how things work, and you need to add some sort of new wrinkle or twist into the game so that people have to think on their toes a little bit. And even though I don't love it, I begrudgingly made that point. I feel like Redemption Island as a concept is indefensible. And Ooh. and and, and the, the reason why I say that is it's it's almost like our why we don't like a final three. Because to us, the, the, the concept of Survivor was you vote one person out until you can't vote anybody out anymore. And when you get to a final two, you, you know, you're voting for the winner. But really, by voting for the winner, you're just saying, I want this person to win. But you're voting that last person out. Whereas when you get to a final three, you're voting for one winner, meaning that you're voting two people out at once. It, it, it sort of is, is this concept. And I think the other concept of Survivor is, is that when you are voted out, you are out of the game. And when we have Redemption Island, now you're you're out of the game, but not really. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. We'll talk about this. I'm sure a lot when we get to it. At the time, I will say personally, I hated Redemption Island. I thought it was such a stupid concept. Watching it now, ten years later, I actually kind of appreciate the drama it brings to the narrative. And that's really what it comes down to me in these seasons. Like, does a story have a strong narrative? And that's that will be my argument. I, I will spoil it already. Why I don't think Redemption Island is that bad is that. As a season, it has a strong narrative. You may no, not it, like the narrative, but it has one, and that's something that disappears much later. Stories don't have narratives later. No, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to go on the record and say that I don't like this season or I don't like mm-hmm. the 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 drama that Redemption Island brings because absolutely it brings some drama. And and I love these Redemption Island duels. They're actually mini highlights of a lot of the episodes that we are going to watch. So so I get entertainment value over out of Redemption Island. But I think when people say like, what concepts in Survivor do you not like? And I'm like, I have just have to say Redemption Island as a concept to me is indefensible. Like you cannot defend it. 
other than it brings good TV, which shrug, I guess that's the point. Well, yeah. Well, to, to, to <laughs> yeah. go back to Mario's point, though, I think while there might be some narrative strength there, I think narratively it's at its strongest in Blood versus Water, which I think a lot yeah. of people agree with. Yeah. But I think what I really still dislike about it is just how much it throws off the momentum of a typical episode of Survivor. Now, look, I'm not necessarily <laughs> being like the old man shakes hand at cloud of like, it has to be, you know, Camp Life Reward Challenge, Camp Life Immunity Challenge, Camp Life Tribal Council. That doesn't need to be it every time. But it just still feels odd to me for jeff to <laughs> snuff someone's torch and be well your game's still alive go to redemption island it's odd to not see final words and instead see someone go off to redemption island to just wake someone up in the middle of the night it's odd to see someone throw their buff into the fire as they're leaving the game outside of randy Bailey oh come on it. that's epic that's epic <laughs> it's just it's it still isn't even though we've seen it again three times at this point it's just still an odd thing that throws off the structure of the episode in my opinion and while one advantage is that they had to shrink things down to one challenge and so we are we're, we see a, a surprising amount of camp life in these four episodes specifically because there's only one challenge to focus on we still get these duels which like you said jay when they're good they're good the one we see between russell and matt is good when yeah. it's not when it's sarita versus matt then it's like <laughs> oh, okay can we fast forward through this? Then it becomes like every other challenge. Yeah, and and sort of what Mike's talking about as far as all the uh, the flow of these episodes go, as we'll get into the the first part of the show, uh, the first several episodes, because we have um, a Redemption Island duel. You know, usually in an episode of Survivor, you get two challenges. You get usually like a reward challenge, and then you get an immunity challenge, which is tribal or individual based on where we are in the game. But because we have the Redemption Island duel, they were like, do we want to have three challenges in an episode? I guess not. So as far as a, a, a an episode goes, we ha er, very early have the Redemption Island challenge. And then the tribes are competing for a immunity reward challenge, which I think is good because it, it just makes more stakes on it. Because I think that some of the someone can argue that like reward challenges you know can sometimes just kind of be real boring because it's like oh they're playing for blankets cool <laughs> i have to follow up on something mike just said because i love that you pointed out that it throws off the pacing of the season which is absolutely true but just as a little uh insider tip to our listeners here i have to say i love podcasting about redemption island seasons just because selfishly as a podcaster they're so much easier to watch and take notes for because yeah. there's so much less content I have to pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many less notes for the season because, you know, half of these episodes is Redemption Island Duel, Immunity Challenge, Searching for Idols. There's literally only about 20 minutes of content that I really have to care about besides that. And, it, like, I don't know how on a podcast we're going to talk about a duel. That's 10 minutes of an episode. It's like, yeah, they're squaring off at a carnival game. Like, and this person wins. Like, <laughs> how do we talk about that? So, selfishly, I love podcasting about these seasons because there's less content. And it's hilarious that I say that because the producers would probably think there's more content. There's so much content we're throwing in these episodes with all these different scenes. But like from a storytelling point of view, I have so much less to talk about. Uh, that's not a Redemption Island season thing, Mario. That's a from this point on thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait till we get to like season 36 and 37. And my notes are like three pages per season. Yeah. Like it's, it's an hour episode and you literally have to pay attention to 10 minutes of it. Yeah. So I heard Paul laughing. Did you want to comment on that? No, I'm just laughing, and I think the, the one thing I was thinking about was you're talking about the duel and about how, like, 
it's a carnival game that we're going to comment on. I think what, what, what feels blatantly weird here is the random two people who show up to the duel. And so it's just like (laughs) that, that doesn't work. And you you have to try it before you know it. It's kind of weird. Well, but in a way, as Mike said, Mike, Mike said earlier that the redemption, sorry, that blood versus water is a much more, uh, dynamic sort of use of Redemption Island than Redemption Island is. And I think it's because, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, the jury in Survivor has has evolved through the season so much, right? Like, remember those first few seasons of the jury? Like, it's the whole, like, just like, this is the jury. Don't look at them. Don't, yeah. don't even, don't even, <laughs> they are non-people. You don't look at them over there. They're here to observe. And, you know, you're just supposed to, you know, now you go on the jury and, like, the whole point of the jury is to, like, be the most, outlandish jury member ever with like your faces and your eye rolls and your gestures and your whispers and you know jurying is now like a full-time sport whereas with redemption island that was the whole thing just like hey there's two people to do redemption island and there's a little bit of squawking that happens in these redemption island duels but not to the level that blood versus water is and that takes it to a whole different area you just need to see it first it needs to evolve (laughs) Okay, let me let me bring this up. We're going to point this out for historical purposes. This is a fact that has been lost to history. So when this season is announced, Jeff Probe says, we have the Redemption Island. We have these duels. It will be man against man, you know, for all the marbles. One lives and one dies. And, like, he built up these duels to be the biggest thing ever. And you see the first episode, and it's what, like, there's, like, stacking cards. grabbing this with a pole and this became a thing among the fan base to make fun of it they just say oh good it's carnival games that's all we're doing is throwing balls at a little clown's face and trying to win a prize and so that's kind of the the overblown nature of the season why the fans rebelled against it right at the start and it just ties into the fact that probes was so high on this season like i know there's a quote he said if you don't like this season you're not a survivor fan and like he's like, this is going to be the most epic season ever again. He knows Boston Rob wins. He knows this is going to be a huge populist, you know, fairy tale that the fans will love. And that is not how it was received at all. But it's just hilarious to realize how big Probst was on the season leading up to it and how not impressed the fans were. It's interesting because I actually remember when I went on set, I, I talked to Kierhofer about creating the challenge and the challenge team hated the shit out of making those duels because the the exact example they used was like you have to create a challenge that both Cochrane and ozzy can be good at like how do you find that happy medium and also contain it within this little arena that they built and as a result we get shuffleboard we get dominoes right and, and so you get this some of you know, and we'll get to there, but like some of the challenges seem inspired in some way and some literally look like, you know, the result of like a board writer's room where like they literally were like <laughs> just taking like darts and throwing it at a board going, what? OK, hear me out. What if <laughs> Yeah, this challenge will be a written test? Whoever scores highest on this test wins. You laugh, but some of the earlier seasons that we have you know, lauded over everything were literally challenges of written tests. I mean, listen, I I, I would not have been mad if we had like a fallen comrades or like a no Nicaragua quiz personally. Yeah. So, but do you guys remember how big Probst was on this season? Like someone showed me the other day, a preview from, uh, uh, it was the global network in Canada had this preview and it came out the day before redemption Island. And it was literally 
like a precursor to Island of the Idols. It was Boston Rob, like eight times as big as anybody else, and Russell eight times as big as anybody else. They're walking around the island, and they're like, it's literally they're bigger than the show. And Probes turns to the camera and says, I'm going to need a bigger torch snuffer. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> that sounds like he's talking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, but and again, I, and, I, and I think the thing that, that to, to to remember is is that you're right, Mario. Probst was so high on the season, and look, diehard fans, especially for the most part, usually will pan a season as it's going on because they expect or want more of this. But usually, as it's done, they're they're generally okay with it, or they're like, okay, you know, maybe not the best, but you know, camp people did not like this season. Like, I, I want people to 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 really understand this concept when this season was going on. Hardly anybody was happy with it. Yeah, the the Boston Rob win, if anything, kind of saves it because now you have a popular winner. But okay, this will delve into a list I wanted to talk about. And before we get into the season, I just want to lay the cards right on the table for everybody. Oh, don't apologize, Mario. Everyone who is stuck for the however many episodes of Historians now knows that in episode one of a season, we literally don't start talking about the season until like an hour and a half into the episode. All right, that's fine. It's a historian's tradition. So yeah. I will – we'll talk about the big the big discussion question right here at the start. Let's name all the reasons why people hate this season. Let's brainstorm. Why Why did people hate the season at the time? Why do they hate it now? Let's just lay them all. Let's just go around the room. What do you – like, what's a, what's a nominee? What do you think people hate about this season the most? Uh, Boston Rob leads an alliance of zombies who don't do anything but follow his lead to the very end. All right, that's one. That's a good one. The, what else? The cast is sizzling and and sparkling, just like Sarita. <laughs> Jay, what do you got? I have Russell, but Russell Ooh. in two ways. Number one is I can't believe they have Russell back on Survivor, and the second one is not enough Russell. He was gone too soon. Yeah, exactly. It's a double whammy. People who hated Russell hate the fact we got to see his stupid face again. People who love Russell hate the season because there's no Russell in it. So, like, you can't win either way. And this ties into number four, another reason people hate the season and hated it at the time. Philip Shepard, the specialist. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I will say, he was the discussion for the first ten episodes of the season. This is all people talked about, and nobody liked Philip. So, okay, four. What else do we got? Any other reasons people hate this season? I mean, we just spoke for 10 minutes about why the concept of Redemption Island sucks, so I think that's a pretty big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say Boston Rob winning. Again, it's popular because Boston Rob's popular, but so many people to this day still say, oh, that season was handpicked and handed to him on a platter, and they basically gave him a win, which I don't necessarily agree with, but... That is the perception of the season. Another yes. reason why people hate it. Yeah, though I, though I, though I will say at the time that was very much not the case because we had yeah. we had yet to have a returning player win a season where they're only one of two people to come back. So I remember I at the time was actually rooting for Boston Rob because I'm like he couldn't do it the last time. I don't know if he'll be able to do it this time. I was too, but I did buy into the argument when people were like, "Oh, it's you know." I I did until the finale, and I'll and I'll and I'll get when we get to the finale, I'll I'll explain that there, but. I am going to defend Rob in a lot of ways as this as this uh, as we go through the episodes here, because I think that for a lot of what we're talking about, I, I think that Redemption Island is such a marked season as far as how Survivor is going to go from here. It's 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 a very good uh, temperature taking season as far as how things are going. But at the same time, 
I think that ultimately, if you want to win Survivor, you have to, you have to, you have to see what Rob does in this season. And sometimes it's in between the lines and sometimes they don't blatantly go out and say it. But Rob Mariano plays an incredibly smart game here. And it's not just, oh, he was handed these zombies that did everything he'd said. They did what he, what he wanted to for the most part, but there was a reason why, and we will get into that. What else, Paul? Any other reasons you can think of why people hate this season? Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, maybe at the time, I don't know that people think, go back and harp on this too, but I think it is also up until this point now, we've really now are going to be committing to, um, using the same location twice mm-hmm. and, you know, not just, I, we had it once in Panama, that kind of weird, the Panama XL Island thing. But again, I think it kind of was moving into this new era of we're going to recycle locations. And instead of, you know, having a location name, we're going to really, you know, throw everything behind a new concept. I think there was some of that, That's something I can remember of that time happening. And we're going to see that, you know, through, um, through, you know, for the rest of the, the show's history. So that's something I, I remember from the time. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a corollary to the Philip point is, oh boy, I can't wait for us to get to the Rice Wars episode, uh, <laughs> which is just one of the ugliest episodes in Survivor history. And I think even at that moment, anyone who was a fan of the season even will admit that that was not a very good look for the show. Yeah, one thing that I have wanted to mention we haven't brought up yet is that at the time, now this is obviously seems silly now, but at the time, this is season 22, we've just finished Heroes versus Villains, a huge iconic season. The perception is that Survivor is getting silly here, and it's probably on its way out, like this is the show on its last legs, where we have these two guys who are bigger than the show, having commercials featuring them, like, and you have to remember, Bobby John and Stephanie came back once and did a very similar season, but we didn't even know they were in the cast until like the day before. It's entirely built differently at this this season where these guys are bigger than the show. So the the perception at the time was this show's getting silly. It's on its last legs. Now, it's funny looking back at that now, 20 seasons ago and 10 years ago, we're still going. But at the time, I think that's another reason people hated the season. It's like, well, I guess we're jumping the shark with this one. I mean, and I've talked about this too, and I think when we finished up our coverage of Heroes versus Villains, it takes quite a long time for them to do a true bounce back. And mm-hmm. I was someone who thought the show should have ended at this point. Like, this is what we're doing. This is, you know, the new era of Survivor we're really welcoming here is just, you know, bringing back, you know, we're not confident in our ability to create new stars of the show that we're going to cling to some, you know, people we already know. So I, I agree with that, Mario, as well. Are we forgetting any other reasons? I want to make sure we name all these now before we get into the discussion. Uh, I mean, I guess on that note is that, going back to Paul's point, like, also the fact that there are some people that are interesting in the cast, but they are on the tribe that gets outnumbered, right? And Mm -hmm. that it's like, okay, there are interesting people on this show, but they're all going to finish early jury, and we have to have five to six episodes of just Omatepe cannibalizing each other. I just thought of one more thing I wanted to mention here, and this is something I I feel very strongly about. We went through a phase here, starting with Samoa, obviously, maybe even a little before that, I don't know, where we go through here, and it kind of ends next season with uh, South Pacific, where there's very much a narrative in the show, and the show defends this and seems to celebrate this, and I'm always surprised this didn't get more flack at the time, that the optimal way to win Survivor is take two moron idiot girls with you and make fun of them and ride them to the end. And that became a very strong narrative. And again, Russell won fan favorite while basically saying that, I got my little bitches here that don't know shit. 
And he won fan favorites saying that crap. And that became a very accepted narrative on the show. And, you know, Rob kind of does the same thing here. He just say it, doesn't say it in so many blunt words, but that's his strategy. And this became a very, I think, uh, not good look for the show for a while. It was a very sexist way to present your show. And it kind of gets dispelled in South Pacific where we have one of the most hilarious endings ever. And it kind of dispels that. But I think people forget that. We went through a phase here where that was very much what Survivor is right now. Yeah, I guess the uh, another, I guess, downside of it is not necessarily about the season, but like what it represents, which we'll get to many, many hours from now. But it somehow makes players believe that this is the way you're supposed to play the game, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, the one of the reasons behind Philippines, which I'm excited to get to eventually is, you know, the one of the reasons why they switched to three tribes is because they sort of perfect the model here of, OK, to win Survivor, you make a, an alliance of five in a tribe of nine, and then you just stick with it until the very end. And that's how we right. get three different winners. And so I think and, that, and, and, and even further than that, Mike, an alliance of five, but a sub alliance of three. Right. That's right. Part, I mean, Philip Shepard is literally going to quote that in the quote unquote BR rules coming up in his second season. Yeah. So as you can see, there's a lot of things going on with the season that are just much more interesting to talk about than, oh, the season sucks. And like, again, that's why I said we're so fascinated to talk about this. And what's funny is, like, I remember I was very much drank the Kool-Aid at the time. This is silly. This is the end of Survivor. I don't even know how it could last much more after this. But I swear we were all talking. We were just watching the first four episodes. We prepared four episodes for this for this podcast. And we're all like. These are fun episodes, and I was actually shocked how old school some of these episodes feel, especially the opening, which straight out feels like Australian Outback with the opening. I was mm-hmm. shocked. I forgot they were in the helicopter to start off. <laughs> yeah. And you got probes banking, the, the helicopter banking, and him sitting in the back in the dangerous seat, the suicide seat. Like, wow, this is very, very old school. We don't do anything like this on Survivor in the 30s and 40s. So I think time has personally been pretty good to Redemption Island, even though it's still not very popular. I don't think it's nearly as bad as people claim. I don't think it's anywhere near the worst season, personally. No, I can't wait to 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 to, to dive into Survivor Rob Mariano Island. Let's do this. <laughs> and, that, and that's what I that's what I will add as well. I completely agree with Jay that like I don't know if this is a hot take. I think Boston Rob is a, a really good character in Survivor Redemption Island. And yeah. it's it's tough because I believe, and people can fact check me on this, I believe he holds the record for most confessionals in a season for the U.S. with this season because they just keep going back to him. So I can totally understand the fatigue from it. But especially watching through these first four episodes, it's like this dude's been so charismatic ever since his days on Mata Amu that now he gets to come around with this very different perspective of like, I'm the old guy watching all these youngins bumping into each other. But I'm, he still sort of is caught in this old school mentality of like, okay, I need to figure out how the hell to find a hidden immunity idol. It's, he has a lot of fun this season, especially in the first half, uh, which I enjoy, uh, especially compared to some of the other characters we get on this season. <laughs> Just anecdotally, I was going to say what a great narrator here is. This will be quick, but anecdotally, I was just watching the season and taking notes last night, and my wife is kind of walking around the house, not really paying attention, just listening. Almost every time Rob speaks, she's laughing. I just hear her laughing when Rob's like, well, good thing Philip was so fat so I could see the clue in the in the chair. Like, just little things like that. I forgot what a great narrator he is. I think an argument can be made that Rob Mariano you know, you, you could make an argument that he is the face of the franchise when you're talking about Survivor, uh, you know, and, and it, that's not something that happens like, oh, well, it, it happened after All-Stars or oh, it happened after Heroes of the Villains or it happened even after Redemption Island. I don't know if any of that is the case, but I think that he emerges from this 
and he's sort of the face of the franchise. But I was trying to think about why is that? Because yes, this is his, you know, fourth time back on the show, and whatnot. But other people are going to be on. Like this is Russell's third, Th- third in four seasons, <laughs> right? And and Rupert, for for God's sakes, who was one of, you could argue was one of the most like singularly popular survivors in one moment at one time. He's been back for like four seasons and Rupert, I would argue, is not the face of Survivor. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I think the reason is, is that not only is Rob so likable in 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 this turn as it comes, you know, he wasn't maybe in earlier seasons, but Rob adapts and Rob, you know, has has shown a capacity to learn and grow, not just personally, but just within a season. Whereas Russell and Rupert, it's the same. Like you just you just rinse, repeat. You drop them in a season. They do the same thing every time. And I think that Rob sort of, you know, we can see the generations of Survivor adapt through Rob and and just how he has aged and how the game has aged and all of these things personally. And and to me, Rob becomes the face of you can say he becomes the face of the franchise because of this season. And it's because of the inordinate amount of confessionals he got. And it's not just that he won, but also he's really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the perception at the time. And again, you would have asked most Survivor fans in 2010, whenever this came out, I always forget. But uh, yeah, like, what do you think of Boston Rob winning Survivor? And there's always the big diehard Boston Rob fans that would have said, yes, about time. Like, thank God. But like the vast majority of people would have just rolled their eyes and said, well, duh, you give someone four tries. Eventually mm-hmm. he's going to win. So that was the thing. But that perception has changed over time. And I agree with Jay. That's the thing. Boston Rob is the face of the franchise and he earns it this season. As much as you don't like the narrative, there is a narrative. And is, I'm going to steal a quote from one of my favorite survivors of all time, Dan Foley. You may not like the facts, but that doesn't change the facts. Can't wait till we get to that season. Keep going. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Worlds apart. We're going to have fun with that. Okay. Anything else to say in the preamble? We'll go into the episodes here. I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to speak. Paul, anything else? You, as the youngest, what were your thoughts at the time here? I was, uh, I was living in uh, Germany at this time. I was studying abroad and uh, had kind of taken a step back from podcasting a little bit. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I just was conflicted in a lot of ways because it just felt like you said, where was the show going? And I didn't really have a lot of faith in, in what was happening with the show. So, um, I probably was pretty down on it, I think overall, but I was busy, you know, living the, living my best life in Europe. So don't feel too bad for me. But I do feel I'm not putting words in everybody's mouth. Everybody actually found these first four episodes really fun. Correct? Yes. I think the first episode hit, we're like, oh, okay, wow, this is, like, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, even, like, the, even the, there's still, you know, cracks of what is not good about this episode, these the, this season showing, right? Like, let's look at the first four episode titles. We have one from Philip, one from Philip, one from Russell, one from <laughs> Boston Rob. Like, that's all you need to know about <laughs> the way the editing of the season is going. But I think that it's it's an interesting shading of of characters i think there's some interesting concepts going on introduces arguably the strongest storyline of the season which is the matt elrod Mm storyline and it's also like my other hot take about this season is i think zapatera is by far the more interesting tribe uh and that's why Mm -hmm. another reason why i don't like this season is god i just wish zapatera took the lead because like there's so many interesting personalities there's more diversity there's so much more infighting going on amongst this group even during the pre-merge 
only for the pre the post merge to just them get mercilessly wiped out and essentially eradicated over the course of a few episodes. But even despite all the Philip, Russell, and Rob, and despite the fact that basically all the storylines on Zapatera specifically are about Russell, it, it, it succeeds in spite of that, in my opinion. I'm glad you mentioned that because I thought the same thing. I would really like to see more Zapatera footage. It's it's so similar to Samoa with Galoo that it's like striking. Like, huh, Russell really just was such a camera hog. They could not talk about anybody else on these tribes. Yeah, but, but Zapatera reminds me of like, you know, like Galoo was a pretty decent tribe. I don't think there's a bad a tribe as you say they are. I think there was a lot of potential there i just think they get undercut because the story doesn't want to give them credit for stuff personally well and also because the narrative they want to build up is you threw a challenge to get rid of russell and that was that was where the problem you had which is such crap it's such crap that's such (laughs) crap we'll get there. yeah well but and and, which is also tough though because another thing that i really enjoy about this first group of episodes to be completely candid they shit mercilessly all over (laughs) russell hands it is so interesting that you could blatantly tell that as as impressive as some of the stuff Russell did in Heroes versus Villains, that he benefited so much from nobody knowing his game to the point where he comes into a season where everybody knows his game. He has no momentum. He has no strategic prowess. The thing that he is known for idol finding, he gets outsmarted by, you know, in, in one of the first episodes. Like, this is just a huge downslide of Russell in terms of reputation. And that's another reason why we wanted to cover these four episodes in particular is because like, these are the only four Russell episodes and the last four episodes of Russell we have seen probably ever in American survivor. Okay. Let's delve into that. Cause yeah, I have a lot to say about that, but okay. So but although you did mention the four episode titles, I am shocked with the amount of confessionals he got. There wasn't at least one unintelligible episode title from Ralph <laughs> rooster noise. Yeah. Okay, let's go into the opening episode. So again, we have Redemption Island. This is the first time it has ever been in play. This is a season unlike anything that has ever been seen before. You can't really compare it to Guatemala because no one even knew Bobby John and Stephanie were coming back until like the day before. This whole season was built around the re- the returnees. So here we go. We got opening just like Australian Outback, all the players in a little plane or helicopter sitting there and Jeff, you know, addressing the camera. These 16 Americans will be going through an adventure of a lifetime, blah, blah, blah. It's so old school. I'm shocked it's in this season. But then we just, who do we meet here? We meet Philip, Matt, Ralph. <laughs> and that's really about it. And now we have to meet our returnees. You know, Jeff is like, we're in a helicopter on loan from the Panamanian military. And I was like, God, do you think the Panamanian military is like tired of getting survivors call at this point? Like, you know. <laughs> Like, hello, we're running drills today. No, 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 no. See, we need all of our all-stars to come back in boats today. <laughs> all right. Uh, did, does, does everyone have to poop this time at least? Because we, really, <laughs> we had to send that boat out there, and we hated that. Like, it was a real mess back there. Uh, please don't do it again. We'll take the plane. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But we, we, we got <laughs> yeah. we got to talk about the first confessional. Because, like, the first confessional, like you said, mm-hmm. can sometimes be a hallmark from the season, sometimes can be Zoe. Uh, and here we have our first confessional is very telling from Philip Shepard talking about being the CEO of the software company, uh, but being a federal agent Shepard, that's his first name and his middle name for years. And, of course, we get one of my favorite editing jokes in Survivor history, the lower third of a former federal agent question mark. Question mark. From yeah. the first from the first confessional. That was big at the time. And this, this is one thing 
that uh, we're going to have to keep beating you over the head with if you haven't, if you didn't grow up with the season or watch it as it was live. Philip was the biggest talking point of the season, pretty much the entire season until the end. And it all starts and ends with that question mark, where right from the start you realize the editors are taking digs at this guy. Now, were you guys fans of Philip at the start? No one wants to admit that they are fans of him now, but at the time, did you enjoy the Philip Shepard experience at least a little? I mean, I feel like it just took a lot of time to actually figure out what exactly, <laughs> what it was, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like eating some sort of like weird delicacy where you're like, okay, what is this supposed to taste like? You know, and the the obvious comparison is Coach, and I think mm-hmm. I, ver- I felt a very similar way to Coach the first time around of like, who is this jackass for lack of a better term? Why is he getting so much airtime? I mean, it took me a while to come around to coach really actually around this time, Mario, because, you know, funny one fifteen two point oh came around out around the time of South Pacific, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk yeah. about. Philip though, was still like a, I don't know, maybe it's because Philip, I think was a little more not high energy, but I think he came at it with more of like a macho aggressive attitude. So like the energy that he had was not similar enough to coach. And so I did not find it as humorous, even in an ironic way as coach did. Well, because I think they're both trying to achieve sort of the same thing, and they both actually want to play the game roughly the same way. Um, but I think that Philip, as opposed to Coach, like I think the the flip flop is is that Philip's personality is not over the top enough to which Coach's was. So you have that uh-huh. entertainment value, and I think that the thing about Philip and the thing that I was sort of I took a lot of notes on Philip as I was watching these episodes and really what I was, what I was taking notes on was just more his logic and how his logic is going through the game. And I think the problem is, is that when you watch Philip sort of the first time and you just sort of are, you're, you're trying to get your bearings around this guy and what's going on. And, and, you know, he's not connecting with his tribe and he has, uh, you know, uh, abrasive outbursts towards people. And, you know, he says this thing and then he does this other thing and everyone's like, he's kind of unpredictable. And I'm like, Philip's actually quite, meticulous with a lot of his logic and in, in a lot of the stuff he does make sense. The problem is, is that he is not getting along with these people. He's not impressing these people. And he is, you know, just in a world of hurt because of all of that. And so, uh-huh. you know, there, there's problems there. It's not like he's playing a good game, but he actually makes sense within the game itself. Just he, his, his personality is, is, is just not jiving <laughs> with anything that's going on on the Island, which is a problem for him. Yeah, okay. We'll definitely talk a lot about Philip. There's been a lot written about the over the years about how he got a bad edit. He has complained about it himself. And again, like you guys said, he was totally compared to coach at the time. And people had had a little coach fatigue maybe at this point. And they're like, do we really need another fucking coach? So yeah, Philip would dominate almost any discussion of the season as it was happening. Although this does lead into one other thing that I forgot to mention at the start when we listed all the reasons people hated this season. And here's a big one. This is my personal one, why I had a grudge against the season. As it went along, I don't think I was alone in this and thinking, Philip is ridiculous. Philip is the most ridiculous character I've ever seen, but he gets so much airtime. And I'm like, is he going to surprise everyone at the end and pull out a win? 
And that was kind of my thought as we're, as we're watching this, because I'm like, Boston Rob can't win. He doesn't win Survivor. It's too obvious. But Philip gets these weird little winner quotes from time to time that he's going to surprise everyone. And I had it built up in my head. He was going to get to the end and pull off the most amazing speech where he reveals this act. And I'm like, this is actually going to be a fantastic season. That's why Probst is so big on this season, because he knows he has this big surprise winner. So when it didn't happen, I was not alone in thinking, well, that was a waste. Yeah, it's, it's this weird thing that is actually going to end up coming to fruition in a future season of Australian Survivor of Philip's going to get to the end and he's going to like pull off the mask, right? Uh, I guess Ethan Hunt style and be like, uh, mm -hmm. I was actually tricking you the entire time. Like, I was wearing feathers in my head. You think I would actually do that crap? No, I was making myself the goat so this rube could take me to the end and then I surprise everybody and win. And people were hoping that it mm -hmm. did not happen. This is the authentic Philip Shepard. And so, I mean, that being said, though, he does technically come in second place, which I think is another big reason why people are not necessarily fans mm. of this season of like, you know, a lot of people like to throw meritocracy behind it of, okay, your placement determines how good of a player you are. Philip Shepard did not play the second best game this season. He shouldn't have finished second. Yeah. Yes, because because Survivor has a good legacy of second place people being awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, but I do want to point out that's just a, just something as we're going along. Philip I don't know. I, I'm tired later. of it, man. I'm tired of his hypocrisy when people are like, you know, and you're right, Mike. I think that's one of the reasons why people didn't like Redemption Island at the time because there was too much Philip and, oh, God, Philip comes in second. He comes in second. I'm sitting there going like, yeah, crappy people have come in second a lot. You know, <laughs> just just because you don't like Philip for some reason, don't don't sit there and go, oh, he came in second. It's like, yeah, you know. Bad people yeah. come in second. No, I agree Sometimes. with you. Just my point is the edit is very misleading at times because he gets winner quotes along the way if you pay attention. He's like, well, now I'm just going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the intel to gain advantage here. Now I have to make my move. Now I'll get it with Boston Rob. Like he has winner quotes, and that's what always throws me yeah, off. Yeah, but did he you has ever, a good story did you if you're ever take that seriously when he's like, I'm going to use this intel to my advantage? Did you ever go, yeah, he's definitely going to use this to his advantage? I didn't, but I thought the show was setting us up. Just because oh, I thought okay. Probst was so high on this season, and I could not, for the life of me, everything I know about Survivor, I could not think it was that obvious that it's just because Boston Rob wins. And I was so thrown off by that. I look at Philip as more of like a, a Matt Von Ertveld, a 2.0, in the sense that, you mm -hmm. know, they're not the same person, but it's one of those where, like, in, in Survivor Amazon, we really did get this, maybe Matt wins this game, right? Mm -hmm. And then Jenna 6-1s him. And everyone afterwards was like, yeah, there's no way we're voting for Matt. He was crazy, right? And yeah. and, and and the thing is, is that we got some of that on the show, but also I think they obfuscated some of that. Like that was not totally glaringly obvious that, of course, they would never vote for Matt. Mm -hmm. And I think that in Redemption Island, here's Philip, and you're saying, hey, they gave Philip winner's quotes, and Philip could pull this off. And I was like, I think they very clearly told us that nobody <laughs> takes Philip seriously and no one's going to vote for Philip, you know, even though – someone does but you know what i'm saying no te technically they vote for file not philip file <laughs> yes file yes i should point out historically i'm really bad at picking survivor winners from the <laughs> end so <laughs> yeah now did anybody else fall for that paul i'm thinking about paul you haven't mentioned you've talked about it do you think philip could actually win this season i mean i definitely remember the buzz at that time of saying is he actually going to you know this huge prank on the audience i do not think i ever bought into it okay. and i think i um I even at that point was not fully trusting Jeff in why he <laughs> loved certain seasons because like I just remember so clearly like um 
after Fiji wrapped and he was saying about how, oh, this is going to be an amazing season. It's, you know, it's going to be even better than Cook Islands. And I know we have a lot of love for Fiji, but the general population did not love Fiji. And also he did not love Fiji. So I just, I remember being way back then being burned by what he said. So I did not trust him. I did not have that much faith in, uh, in Philip winning. No. Okay. How about though? But I would say, you know, while we're talking about these first confessionals, I think we should talk about Ralph as well, which, again, it's, it's an odd mm-hmm. storytelling structure in that we have these important Zapatera characters who go to so many tribal councils pre-merge and then, like, immediately get voted off. But I would say Ralph is, from a character perspective, one of the bigger ones. But I also love how, like, self-effacing Ralph is, right? His first confessional is that he calls himself a once crazy stupid bastard, and he literally says, we ain't ever had a dumbass win this game. So he's essentially saying, I'm going to be the first ever dumbass to win Survivor. And to be fair, he gets a big edit in the first four episodes. You actually kind of think he might. You know, but but Ralph, you know, Ralph says that, but but also I think Ralph is playing the, for lack of a better word, the Southerner card. Of course, yeah. On the on the show, and so he says that in a confessional. But like you said, you know, like Mike, like Mike points out when he's just like, I might be, it might be my turn to be the dumbass to win Survivor. I'm sitting there going like, I don't think Ralph's a dumbass. And yeah. and but but as you said, you know, his accent is very thick. He adds subtitles from time to time. So when that happens, uh, some people like to play that Southern card and and uh, and uh, say, oh, I'm just. I'm just an easygoing person from the South. I can't possibly, you know, mm-hmm. crush the game like Tina or, you know, people like <laughs> that. So it's just, it's how it goes. Well, the well, two characters in particular, I think the producers had really high hopes for, and they probably thought the audience was really going to be behind. Ralph has got to be one of them. They really probably thought he was going to be a huge fan favorite. And the other one is Mike. Yes, I was, Mike. I, I think it's due to, and I, I mean, Mike is sort of like a proto-Captain America type, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not be surprised if he took Chris Evans' spot one day, because I think there is a little bit of that that military aspect, much like we talked about with, like, a, you know, a Tom Westman fireman aspect. I think Mike is fairly charismatic as well. And, I mean, he also does nearly come back into the game, right? Like, mm-hmm. he ends up losing out to Andrea at the end there. So it, I think it's safe to say... Despite, you know, I think the legacy of someone like David Murphy might supersede these two. I do think that of all the Zapateras, Ralph and Mike are probably the two biggest edited characters from that tribe. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Now, I'm personally a fan of Steve. Once we get to Steve, he's really sneaky funny. He has a very dry sense of humor. But yeah, Mike is a big character and so is Ralph. And that's the thing people forget. They just think Zapatero was, was a bunch of nobodies. Those two were pretty big characters. And I really think the producers expected the audience to get behind them a little more than they did. Mike and fan favorite Sarita. That's what Jeff said. She was going to probably win. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike and Steve, total chat energy. I did write on my piece of paper. Uh, I was watching these. Ep- I was rewatching these episodes for the show on Hulu and I have it on. I just got a new like humongous television in my house. And that's, I'm, that's not a humble brag, but I guess it is. But I, I was sitting here going like, God, it's my first survivor watch on my new TV. And I have David Murphy on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And while we're just like talking about Zapatero, can I just like bitch about Julie for a minute here? Ooh. Because she, <laughs> oh, okay. We found she your drives gene. me up the freaking wall because she's she like, doesn't fall down. 
<laughs> right? She's she stands up vertically the entire time without any falls. No, it drives me nuts about how it's like she clearly just like gives the producer who's interviewing whatever she wants because she's so wishy-washy. Like <laughs> in one moment she's like just like, you know, bagging on Russell and how terrible he is. And then like the next she's like, I really I believe in karma and I hope this doesn't come back to bite us. And I'm just like, just pick a damn side woman. Like, oh, she drives me nuts. <laughs> it's not her oddly placed tiny eyes that throw you off. No, nothing about her physical appearance annoys me as much as like the fact that she cannot like she's so wishy washy in, in what she says. It drives me insane. You know what? You know what is interesting is that Steve Wright. Like, do you think they they just thought let's try to do Gary Hogaboom again? Right? This is season. <laughs> there was season eleven. This is two times season eleven. Should we bring back a former NFL player and see what happens? Wait a minute, aren't there two NFL players on this season? Grant, too. Yeah, so there, te- there technically is Grant, but I feel like Grant is not necessarily filling that Gary Hogaboom time. I mean, Steve, kind oh, of like, yeah. he, they could be hanging out at the, the American Legion together, you know, shooting pool. <laughs> it's funny, out of all the players from like this era of the show who I'd like to hang out with and talk to for like an hour, Steve would have me laughing so much. I just love the way he phrases stuff, but it's really subtle. You have to listen for him. It's always in the background. But yeah, he is very Hogaboom Hawkins esque. All right. So anyway. so, <laughs> okay, so yeah, we get to the opening and all the players there and, and they're all on the beach and Jeff's like, Oh, and by the way, there's two more players this season. Watch their, you know, a hundred foot bodies step over the island like in the commercial. And so here come Boston Rob and Russell. And I just love right from the start, Boston Rob gets off the helicopter and everyone's like, Yay! And then Russell gets off and it's just dead silent or boo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The, which is was the perception at the time. Let's also remember, like, what have you done for me lately? Look how Boston Rob finished in Heroes versus Villains, right? He mm-hmm. lasted half the season and he went out in, like, not necessarily a heroic way, but, like, you know, gone too soon. Russell just played 28 straight episodes of Survivor and gets absolutely dragged the shit out of at the end, and people are like, I am done with him. So to have him come yeah. back, I think, is an, it's a very understandable thing. It's like Yao Man versus Johnny Fairplay in Micronesia in the beginning. <laughs> you know, and you have to know that Rob, you know, had already thought his strategy before he got off the helicopter onto that beach. But at the same time, Rob is also not a complete idiot. And I think that you see that, you know, Rob jogs off the helicopter first. And I mean, for lack of a better word, this is a baby face reaction uh, in pro wrestling terms. And then Russell gets off and there's silence or like stares or like hisses. Like he's the clear heel here. And it's like, I'm sure Rob just like clocked that, like took a note mm-hmm. of that and was like, OK, so this is how we're going to do things. And it, I, again, Rob plays an incredible game in this in this game. Uh, for who he is and where he is and all of that sort of thing. And I think that part of that is formed here on the beach. He just is smiling. He's taking it all in. He slow plays the hell out of this game. And I think that it starts here with this introduction of Rob. Yay, Russell. Yeah, that is one of the great face turns of all time because people may not remember, you know, Rob was one of the most notorious villains kind of up to this era. (laughs) Like all of a sudden now he's the hero. So, okay. So, but that's just where we're going to go with the narrative this season. Hey, Mario, he did collapse at one point. He did, repeatedly for the cameras, I heard. The game was getting the best of him. <laughs> I think okay. Rob's, Rob's face turn, I think, started in uh, Heroes vs. Villains when like they're introducing everyone and they're, they go to Rob and he just goes, I'm a villain? And he smiles. I'm like, ah, here we go. 
Yeah, although we, I guess we neglected to mention one other thing. What was it at the Heroes versus Villains uh, reunion where Rob announces to the world, I'm going to come back someday and kick your ass, Russell, and the audience cheers. So, like, that's – I mean, yeah, the face turn has already started prior to this season. Right, and I think that's why they, they follow up on them. Not only is he wanting to come back and he's a good player to come back, but, we you know, when the Richard thing doesn't fall through, they're like, oh – well, let's uh, you know, let's get Rob back for a obvious Rob reasons, but also he's got some heat with Russell. We'll do this. Absolutely, and and apparently Rob has nothing else to do. Yeah, and also again, given well, I think I remember I think Rob Boss Rob actually gave like a recent interview where I think after Heroes versus Villains, you know, they were really able to rope him in because after All Stars, he wasn't sure if he ever wanted to come back, which makes sense given the entire ending of Survivor All Stars. But then I think enough time had passed, and he's like, okay, let me try to do this, and then. You know, I think now this sort of gave him a bit of momentum to be like, okay, let me do this, because he obviously had to still check off that box of winning the game. But again, let's compare the Guatemala opening to this, where Jeff, you know, I think did a fairly good job of talking about Bobby John and Stephanie's work ethic. But here they're able to be like, Boston Rob helps his tribe in challenges and, you know, and, and in strategy. Russell masterminded two of the greatest alliances in Survivor history. Between them, what, like 176 days of Survivor? We are a long way away from those Guatemalan pyramids, right? We might have one similar-looking player in Steve Wright, but these are three, four-time players now coming into play against one-time players. Yeah, I do love the narrative here right from the start. I, I have to point this out just because we're the historians where, where Jeff is really building up his returnees. Rob, three times played, once in the final, where we, we kind of leave out the unspoken part, two times didn't even make the jury, which I, I love we didn't, didn't mention that part. And the same thing with Russell, played two times, made the finals twice. And the unspoken part is probably had no chance to win either time. But I just I just love that the, the unspoken part of his little build up there. OK, let's talk about one other player here who is I forgot was so significant to the season. You kind of forget again, Zapatera. I already talked nobody. about her, but continue. No, not Sarita, Paul. Damn it. Stephanie. Let's talk about Stephanie for a second. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. Who right from the start knows Russell's going to be the focal point of the season. And she flat out says, I'm looking at him. I'm flashing him looks. I want him to see me. I want to be his dumbass girl alliance because he's going to pick someone. It's going to be like a jingle all the way when he gives Turbo Man to a lucky kid in the parade at the end. I want to be the kid that gets the toy at the end. I want to be Russell's, you know, hand-picked successor. But she, because hey, I she know does... that movie reference. Just for the record, I get the movie reference. <laughs> Paul got one. Thank you. Uh, put that cookie down. Okay, so anyway, uh, but she says, if Russell doesn't pick me, I'm going to be out of the game. So already she's selling this narrative that Russell is this unstoppable force who must be teamed with, which is not the story of the season. But we're going to get a lot of Stephanie building up this Russell legend. See, it's interesting because you say, like, oh, we got to talk about somebody. I thought we were going to talk about Francesca for a second because, <laughs> like, is, isn't that where Francesca supposedly has her death knell here, right, where she's like, uh, I don't know. Like these two guys are a holes. Uh, I I I don't know. I don't know if I want the play in the game. And Boston Rob's like, all right, you're first up on this chopping block now, sweetheart. Yeah, it's literally just like Christine the next season. Oh, they're temporary players. Like, why would you do that on the very first day? I don't want these returnees here. They suck. So yeah, Francesca is marked for death right from the start. Again, much like Christine will do next season. All right. So this is where they draw their buffs. And uh, we do have to talk about this for a second. Again, 
one of the big criticisms leveled towards Redemption Island is that it was handpicked for Russ for Rob to win. They handed it to him on a platter. They gave him all these player players that would you know fawn over him and obsess over him, and it was really easy. So there's been accusations over the years that maybe this draw at the start was rigged, which I don't again I don't personally think it was, but this to this day still follows this season. Yeah, what is it about Boston Rob and being involved in seasons with suspect buff draws? <laughs> well, he does draw first. So, I mean, you can make the argument there is a way they could have had him specifically draw a tribe, but I'm not necessarily sure that's the tribe they would have wanted, would have wanted Rob to be on anyway, because that's the weaker tribe. So, I mean, I, I don't see the argument that it was rigged in any way for him. Do you guys, like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I, I always thought the structure, there's a lot of parallels there that in both tribes, there are some women who will seem likely to, you know, fall into either ones, whatever they do to get uh, young women to support them. So I don't know. I feel like it really, you know, there's a lot of parallels in terms of how they structured the two tribes. Yeah, I would say that, like, I think a lot of people were saying, right, like, oh, Boston Rob will get voted out immediately, just like they did on Zapatera. But again, Mario brings up the reception. Rob was not nearly regarded in the same way as Russell was. So I think Russell could walk into... Ometepe and still be in a lot of trouble. I don't think that the problem was the tribe makeup, though that certainly helps with Rob. I just think it was more so the the you know reputations of these two players coming into the game. I will speak on this in the next scene. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I, it's funny because we uh, we keep bringing this up that the perception at the time now is oh this was the Boston Rob coronation season they built a season for him to win. But at the time, the, the narrative would have been much different that people would have said, oh, they created the season just so Russell couldn't get voted out. They created the season just so Russell could have a second chance. It was handpicked for Russell to dominate. So it's funny how perception changes. Okay, next scene. So we uh, Jeff explains Redemption Island. We get the shot of Matt Elrod, of all people, going, what? Redemption Island? Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I just think is funny. And now we go to the first scene at uh, Zapatera, where... Again, as the narrative will be for the first three episodes, 100% Russell, 0% anybody else. Yeah, then we do get a bit of a shot of Ralph and just how obscenely hairy he is. <laughs> yeah, but again, the confessionals here, Russell, you know, I was a schoolboy the first two times. This time I'm bringing it. I, I'm here to win. These guys are nobodies. They're amateurs. So again, it's the exact same storyline we're always going to see he, from Russell. He does have a cool new tattoo, though. Let's just please highlight that. Oh my god. Imagine getting a quote of something you said on your body. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anytime I see the, you know, for those who don't remember his tattoo, you know, keep hope alive, I'll never forget when I don't know when I don't know, it's it's at some point when he's about to get out or he gets out or something like that and and Sandra posted on her Facebook, keep hope alive, more like keep hoping. And so every time I see that tattoo, that's all I hear in my head. <laughs> yeah, for you guys who weren't there during this era, there was a wonderful trash talking back and forth between Russell and Sandra on social media. They genuinely did not like each other, and she would always take digs at him, and he would always respond. It was just the funniest thing to watch. Here's a connect-the-dot moment, just as you were talking about how we talk about Redemption Island in, in comparison to other things. Both Rob and Russell, they don't they – don't, overtly come out and say it and talk about heroes versus villains but heroes versus villains is the last game that both of these gentlemen played in and both of them talk about how how lovely it is to work with these newbies mm -hmm. and 
you know, not just that people on Heroes versus Villains were veterans, but like how sweaty was that environment that they were in in Heroes versus like how tryhard was everybody on that show for like Robin <laughs> Russell to basically be like, this is a vacation because even though these are newbies and obviously they are not as seasoned as the people on Heroes versus Villains were like. This has got to be, you know, the, the, that the, the environment just has to be completely, completely 180 from from each other. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Um, by the way, Paul, you said you don't like when people put uh, tattoos of their own sayings on themselves. For full disclosure for our audience, if you've ever met Paul, he has a huge tattoo on his shoulder that says, I love when old people fall down. So that, I'm just is, true. that, out. that is the exception. Yeah. He's a Montana. He's a renegade. All right, so we go to camp. We go to meet the, the tribes the first time around camp. And again, it's kind of interesting. I kind of forgot about this, that Zapatera has five guys, four girls. It's different in They have five girls, four guys. But again, to weigh in on the narrative that perhaps this season was stacked for Boston Rob to succeed well, I forgot that they were given an entire box of tools to build the greatest shelter ever. Yeah, the Craftsman Toolkit, which we'll we'll get into in what made one of one of one of the oddest challenges that people don't remember. The like Thank you, Sears. Build yeah, build your way to the end of the immunity challenge challenge. But yeah, it's an odd thing. At least they get to get started early on that. And it also helps that they have two returning players. So like from that perspective, we are a far ways away from the younger men's uh, you know, Exile Island pile of sticks in the corner. Everyone has at least some stuff to to work with here. Uh, and, you know, in this first scene at Omotepe, this is where we get, you know, a little bit, a little bit of Rob fawning. It has not fully flamed yet, but we get someone like Natalie, right, being like, oh, yeah, I feel such a comfort with Rob. And then we have Philip, of course, backseat driving literally everything that's happening at camp. So I want I want you guys to point this out or, or to notice this, because this is something that needs to be noticed. So when we go over to Zapatera, what's one of the first thing that we see over at the Zapatera tribe? Russell not participating in anything and looking for idols. Russell not participating in everything, but also he brings everyone in, right, mm, for some sort yeah. of speech. And he's like, look, I know you all have seen me. I'd be stupid to play the game the same way again. I'm here to win challenges, blah, 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 blah. So he basically brings everyone together, tells them he's a brand new Russell, and then he proceeds to not do a whole ton and then start to work on this girl's alliance. And it's one of those things where, like, that's fine if that's the only way you know how to play things and that's how you're going to play things. But the speech probably does you no favors. It, it draws it draws attention to you and then people are watching what you do. And then if you fall into certain patterns, they're like, he clearly told us that he wasn't going to fall into those patterns. And yet here he is. Now, we didn't see if Rob makes a big, you know, sort of speech, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised either way. But what do we see when we go over to Omatepe? We see Rob helping out not saying much, right? There's that whole thing where they're trying to do something and they go over to Rob and they say, hey, you know, you're the expert. What do you think? And Rob just looks at him and says, you guys know what you're doing. Yeah, no, and I agree. It's it, yeah. it, it's so laid back, right? And 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 he's he's letting other people take the lead. And then we have, as Mike just alluded to, this, this scene where Philip is backseat driving everybody and then Philip and Francesca started to get into a little tiff, right? But the camera pans. Rob is right there. What does Rob do when Philip and Francesca start to get into it? Either he laughs around. or rolls his eyes. Yeah, he, he, wa around. he walks away. He turns around and he walks away. And I'm sitting there going, like, Rob is slow playing this so beautifully. 
Yeah, Rob, Yeah, this is the one dynamic that I think people forget. There's five girls on the tribe and four guys. So Rob, right off the bat, realizes he's outnumbered if there's an all-girl alliance or any resentment against him altogether. So as Jay said, he's super smart here in how he plays it. And I've got, again, helped inordinately by Philip just being a douchebag. Well, don't, don't, Mario, you point out, obviously, the gender discrepancy. Don't worry, Philip notices it as well, because I can imagine, he's like, I've got to get the five women in my side. Let me tell them my deepest, darkest secret. Bring them all in for a hug and kisses. That's surely what they want on day one of Survivor. Yes. First, I will mansplain how to shovel to Francesca. Then I will mansplain to Andrea, who grew up on a farm, how a hatchet works. Now I'll pull all the women in together, give them a hug, say, I have seven sisters, I love all my sisters, and really, that's the thing I think people forget about the first episode of the season, if you haven't watched it in a while, Philip is angling so hard to be the leader. He is not comic relief at all at the start. He wants to be the leader, and he thinks he is. Yeah, that's why he gives the title quote, like, one of the reasons why he's able to temporarily get on board with the Francesca-Christina plan, he's like, Boston Rob's taking the lead, I'm gonna take over. Honestly, it's a little Russell-esque, right? This idea of, like, I gotta have my alliance. Uh, Boston Rob shouldn't be ruling the camp. It should be my leadership of alliances. Let me go to these dumbass girls and tell them that I'm a federal agent. Again, it's done differently because Philip has seven sisters. He respects women. But it's an oddly comparable thing that, for some reason, Boston Rob finds himself with a a Russell type in that regard. (laughs) I love that one of Philip's first confessionals is comparing himself to Boston Rob, how they're like two lions in a pride eyeing each other, the two alpha males, which, again, is not the season you remember, but that's how Philip sees the season right from the start. He sees it. But again, we get this other scene where Christina is looking around because, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the camera is showing us the craftsman toolbox for, you know, A, holy crap, they have tools, but B, obvious sponsorship plug here, right? But... The other reason is, is that they've hidden a hidden immunity idol clue inside the toolbox, right? And Christine is telling us, like, it's got to be in there. I'm looking for it. And you see Rob over there looking at her, and Rob basically says, I know what you're doing. I'm just going to – you do your own thing. And Rob walks away. He lets her have it. And obviously, Christina and Rob are going to have issues in these first couple of seasons. But even still, you can see what Rob is trying to do in these first two days. He's not making waves. He's agreeing with everyone. He's not trying to be super brash. And over the top, he's just being helping out and being a nice guy. So when everyone's like, oh, all these people fawned over Rob, I'm like, maybe he earned it. Yeah, no, I agree. That's the thing. Rob is amazing in this season. And and Christina is a perfect example of that. People, if you haven't watched this in a while, you may have forgotten Christina. I think she was a really good player. And there's a the argument that people always make, well, Rob is on a tribe with a bunch of zombies. Nobody knew what they were doing. I don't think that's true at all. I think Christina could have been a hell of a player. He just absolutely neuters her right off the bat. He, he, he cancels her so quick she never has a chance to get any momentum in this game, but I think she would have been a great player in almost any other se- setup. Not to mention that we... Let me put this out here now because I think it's something that I would love to hear from people back as to whether this gets disproven, but I'm pretty sure the rumor is that one of the reasons why everyone wanted to go to Rob with Rob to the end is because they probably would have beaten Rob in a vote. That mm-hmm. Boston Rob had to specifically take that configuration of people to people that really nobody in any right would want to vote for over him to make him like the least worst out of all three options. I think if it's him sitting mm-hmm. next to Grant, Ashley, or Andrea, 
he loses. And so again, it's a, it's a thing where you say, oh, these people weren't playing. No, they were playing their ideal final three, which would have Boston Rob, which is why they kept him around. Yeah, that's a very good point that never gets mentioned. And again, it goes back to Guatemala, if you remember our coverage, because I used to, uh, I'll say it again, I used to know Rafe. I knew Rafe before he was on Survivor. So after he came off, he would talk to me and tell me all this stuff that, you know, didn't really make the episodes. And that was something he was very insistent on when we talked about Guatemala. He's like, none of us wanted Stephanie or Bobby John to win because they were big name celebrities. They were going to get all the attention. Nobody wanted to be on a season that was just Stephanie's season and we were side characters. So that was the thing. You kind of hope you can take her to the end because her, her personality is abrasive. No one wants to reward her. They don't want to be a secondary character in her season. So it was kind of a race to take Stephanie to the end, which you could look at it the same way in Redemption Island. Again, I don't know if it's true or not, but I bet there was a fair amount of people saying, I really want to take Boston Rob to the end because nobody wants to be a side character in this guy's season. He won't win. Just pointing that out. That's not how the narrative is talked about anymore, but I bet there's probably some truth to that. Okay, so we got uh, Omatepe, we got Philip and Rob circling each other like lions, or perhaps Philip just circling Rob like a lion. But now we go to Zapatera, and we get the old adage here. Now, this was very much the perception at the time, is that Russell's game wouldn't work if other people knew who he was and how he played. And this is the thing that followed Heroes versus Villains. A lot of people argued, well, of course Russell did well. Nobody had ever seen him before. He just got to do the same thing over again, and nobody knew. Now we see what happens when you know what Russell's game is. Sure enough, the first scene, him taking Stephanie aside, his quote-unquote dumbass girl, he's going to drag her to the end. And the entire rest of the tribe just watches and says, oh, I guess he's doing this again. Let's get rid of him. This scene is so fucking creepy. Like, <laughs> Russell leaning up against the tree, it's just so edgy to me for him to be like, who do, who do I bring to the end of the first time? Natalie. Who'd I bring to the end the second time? Parvati. Like, it's very clear he is flirting with her. Like, abundantly clear that he is what flirting with her. What rhymes with Parvati? Stephanie. That's exactly what he's like. <laughs> that's his stupid-ass pickup line. Is like, oh, we all sound the same, so I guess y'all play the same as well. To the point where, I can't remember, I... Don't think he dates anyone from this season, right? He dates Michaela later on, but I I always recall when he was in the Survivor Hall of Fame and he like got a ballot to determine who would be there. He's like, "It's got to go to Stephanie." And it's just like he has the I mean, basically all this stuff that they were saying about Russell Russell's little puppy dog crush on Parvati and Heroes versus Villains 100% plays out in Redemption Island in my opinion. Like it is abundantly clear he is trying to mack on her over the course of this season. Yeah, and just on a, on a personal note here, I, I used to go to finales around this time. I would see these players in real life. Russell always had hot women following him around and flirting with him, and he would always be around these really hot younger women. I would see it in person that there was a magnetism about him that drew people to him. He was after them. There was a very much an interesting dynamic you'd see even in person at these live events. It was kind of astounding. But yeah, that's the, the narrative that Russell's doing exactly what he always does. And sure enough, every single other member of Zapatera just watches him. There's like, he doesn't help. He doesn't build the shelter. All he does is go off with these girls, these young girls. He always picks the young girls, goes look for an idol. They're like, this guy's a cancer. Let's get rid of him immediately. And this will be the entire Zapatera storyline for three episodes. Although, 
I do want to point something out because we go over to Ometepe and we get a very similar commentary here. And I have to point this out because, again, I keep wanting to bring this up that this was very much what Survivor was kind of turning into. And I'm always surprised more more wasn't being made of it, that this is just what Survivor is and it's kind of mean-spirited, is that Christina explains that Rob does the exact same thing as Russell. He's like, he just goes and picks these young, naive girls and rides them to the end, and that's what he does. He just, what does she say? He says, she says, uh, they're easy pickings. That's what Rob and Russell do. They go after these young girls, Natalie and Ashley. They're easy pickings, and Christina says, Rob needs to be stopped. So it's a, there's actually a parallel on both tribes here. It's just, it's not remembered because it doesn't work out for Christina. Which, like, is that accurate? I don't, I mean... I mean, he found one young woman in each one of his seasons, right? Like, uh, except for yeah. Heroes versus Villains, he is most well known for his relationship with Sarah and his relationship with Amber. Yeah, right, but so Sarah I don't think gets, it's inaccurate. Sarah gets eliminated rather quick, right? And then, you know, all that Rob father stuff is not Rob puppeteering young women. You know what I mean? That's him just trying to strong arm the tribe, right? Yeah, but again, that was the perception of Marquesas, if you remember. They would always say, oh, Rob just has an extra vote because he controls Sarah. So he was dangerous. So I'm saying Rob perhaps doesn't have the same mindset as Russell, where he's probably not quite as creepy and leering and sexist about it. But on paper, it's not that different from Russell's strategy. Which is weird because what you're saying is true. But it's, it, to me, it's like I think about all stars and I'm just kind of like, oh, Rob fell in love with Amber and they also won the game. Like, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. like not not mm -hmm. not trying to put a heroic spin on it, but it's not. Rob dragged some, you know, young girl to the end. It's like Rob, Rob married her and had uh, like, you know, a, yeah. a, an absolute brood worth of kids with her. You know what I no, mean? No, it's like, true. Yeah. You know, it's true. It's a little different. It's not as lecherous. Yeah, it's definitely not as lecherous. I'm just saying Christina points it out in the episode and I'm always surprised the producers and editors left that line in because that's not really Rob's storyline, but you can see they're trying to set it up in, in, that Rob and Russell are kind of parallels here. So we should point out Christina's significance here because, and it's so surprising that it takes actually this long, and in a season of Russell, he's not the first one to do it. This is the earliest we'll ever find and play a hidden immunity idol in the show's mm -hmm. history. Christina is able to find one without any clues, and it's, it's a big accomplishment, but I do think she's one of those like survivor stats that sort of gets forgotten just because she is a character that gets forgotten but she is the i think the one of the first the first person to find an idol in episode one it happens after this fact but considering how much of a hallmark that usually is in modern survivor it's interesting that it only happens here mm -hmm. and she's someone i'd actually forgotten was even on this season before i started doing the rewatch i'm like oh yeah i forgot about her she was like the thorn in rob's side at the start i kind of forgot but she's really significant in this episode like you said she finds the idol she pulls her alliance together she grabs francesca she grabs philip which as we will find later is a mistake but on paper it should work she's gathering her numbers to take down rob but it's all going to fall apart because philip is just sucks i mean <laughs> not to steal a quote from palau we can't get anything together because philip sucks but christina does have the quote rob's good but I'm good, too, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, they immediately regret it as soon as, like... So Christina essentially approaches Francesca and is, like... Show... So the, the chain of information that, that should be pertinent here is that she tells Francesca that she has the idol. She does not tell Philip. All she does <laughs> is the two of them approach Philip and, you know, say, okay, we want to get rid of Rob. 
And Philip is like, uh, well, I'm not going to not tell anybody if you don't if we don't have the votes. Otherwise, we'd be voting fruitlessly. And then there's a lot of spatting back and forth. Christina's telling him to, like, calm down. And she actually out loud says, I regret telling you anything. And then, you know, Francesca, it, it's really, I think, in my opinion, uh, as much as Philip gets villainized over the course of this season, I do think... It's this is a little bit wrong on all sides. Like Philip is behaving horrendously here, uh, you know, saying you have to, you know, uh, you can't. I'm a 52 year old man. I'm a grown man. You can't talk to me like that. Like stop talking at once. Even like he is so clearly talking down to them. But at the same time, I don't say I get Philip's perspective. But if you're approaching three of nine people and saying, mm-hmm. okay, we can get rid of Boston Rob Mariano. That does not sound convincing enough to me. Like, you have to no. give me an idol to be able to show me that I'm not just throwing away my vote on the returning player on the tribe. And yeah. this is and this is sort of the point that I want to make. Philip is actually very logical in this scene. Like, he, you know, Christina's like, I have an idol and, you know, I don't, you know, or I, I, I want you to, you know, go with me and, and, and do what I say and we can get Rob out and stuff like that. And Philip is basically like, he says two things to her. He says, first of all, he says, I would tell people if it would be to my advantage, so I can't promise you that. And second of all, okay, we'll vote out Rob. Where are your other votes? And I'm sitting there going, like, those are two very, very honest and logical things that he has just said. He then packages all of that in just a horrifically unpleasant package yep, of, yep. you know, just abrasiveness and 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 condescension and and it's absolutely the wrong way to talk to people. And I'm not condoning Philip's action going, you know, Philip actually played a great game and stuff like that. Clearly he did not because, you know, people were not wanting to vote for him with a 10 foot marker at at, at this point. But at the same time, like in this scene, everyone's like, Oh, Philip didn't go with Christina. And it's like, well, why should he? Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something you said earlier that his thoughts always make logical sense. If you think about them. Yes. It's yeah. just that it's just that the way he acts upon them or the way he's talking to people, which at the end of the day, Survivor is talking to people he's not so great at, you know, in, in this season or even the next one that he plays. But uh, Philip, you know, what what Christina, you know, Christina has this idea and the idea is good in the sense of we should probably get Rob off because Rob is dangerous and I have a hidden immunity idol. We can blindside him like her idea is correct, but she doesn't have the people to pull this off, which is an, a testament to Rob and, you know, the fact that he's sewing up relationships and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, having an idea does not mean you can execute the idea. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that she goes to Philip because Philip's on the outs and, you know, she can see that Philip's rubbing people the wrong way. So she's like, this is somebody I can approach. And Philip's just like, I am unapproachable. And that's <laughs> the problem. And I think like, I was I was very interested in these conversations with Philip and Christina and then eventually Francesca in, the, in this first episode because I think what is a little bit different about kind of this era that Survivor's moving into is how, you know, the game is increasingly starting sooner and sooner. I think you have a yeah. moment like this where you have this very fast-moving game dynamic thrown in and in a normal situation, give Christina a few more days. She, I think, is going to know how to approach Philip and it can have more figured mm-hmm. out. But because they're having to make this like kind of really game-changing decision without really knowing each other yet, is kind of how you see the that social dynamic play out in a different way, where you don't have the time to really feel each other out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you what do you do in that situation? You're Christina, and you're like, you realize. 
you know, after you've already opened your mouth and you're like assuming that you're you're dealing with someone who's communicating the same way you are or has the same, and it's very clear that your communication styles are totally off, and then you're getting agitated and he's agitated and like then what do you do? Because you're all you're all you're on the outs. Like you both are on the outs. But um, I, I really enjoyed these conversations in that first episode. Part of what makes this first episode so great. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out is that you know there's always strategy podcasts out there that talk about seasons and and what they would probably say is why was christina so stupid to think three could take out six but i mean just put think of this logically there's hundreds of hours we don't see of footage i'm sure she approached other people on the tribe too i'm sure she was trying to weigh the odds see who she could get against boston rob so i'm sure it was not as dumb as she's just trying to get three against six that's i just want to point that out that there's a lot of stuff we don't see here it's 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 truncated tremendously there's there's a lot we don't see, but at the same time, if she had more people, or if she had enough sense to maybe lie to Philip and and yeah. say, you know, I have these people, and then try to work on them later, that that's that's one thing or the other. But Philip does say, who are your other people? And she obfuscates, and the reason she does that is because she doesn't have the people yet, right? Well, she might not have the people, or she just might not trust Philip to not blab. You can look at it either way. Maybe she does have people we don't know, and she just does not trust Philip, and she's like, you're on a need to know basis, and he's like. I mean, you don't tell me I'm on a need to know basis. I'm the one telling you. So I think it's just a communication thing. Right? Right. Like we don't exactly know what the truth is there. Like, like I said before, I think all three of these people are just in the wrong at various points, which again makes for a very fun first episode when you, I mean, they do have a chance here. You know, if it's not blab that Christina has the idol while Rob has his suspicions, maybe a split doesn't happen and their three votes hold weight, but because they just can't get in line with each other, any possible plan of Boston Rob being the first person voted out of this season gets squashed immediately. Yeah. And we will get to this in a second. Like what exactly, like how good a player is Philip actually? And it's funny, the more I watch the season, the more I realize, especially at the start of the game, if Philip's not in charge, he's not going to listen to you because he must be in charge. Like he is such an alpha male. He cannot possibly let other people run the show. And that's his you know, fatal flaw. But anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, so we get to the first immunity challenge. Zapatera just basically destroys them because they're so much bigger. They're stronger. They have, again, five guys. The Omatepes have five girls. It's, the gender balance is different. And any, any strength challenge early on in the season, Zapatera just crushes them. And it's this first one really isn't even close. They just... This is one where they have to build the temple, and they just push the blocks there much faster, and Zapatero wins pretty easy. Yeah, and uh, Russell basically says, you know, I know what Boston Rob's thinking right now. He's thinking, oh, crap, I'm stuck with a bunch of weenies. It's very clear <laughs> that Russell, like, consulted a thesaurus in the days before the game to be like, okay, I know I'm playing <laughs> against new players. Like, let's come up with newbies, peewee leaguers, weenies, <laughs> dumbasses. Let's find out all the different words I can use to describe these people. <laughs> that's what he uses uh, third place money from heroes versus villains on and a thesaurus exactly like no i think he bought one in the airport we know that he probably spent that money on like frivolous things like oh damn all right merriam webster you're my only hope can we also just like in an odd way can we appreciate just the i don't know if naivete is the word but just a world where russell's just like oh these other people are in trouble and he like is commenting on other like tribes and alliances when he himself is like there's no need to have a majority in order to do well in this game. <laughs> I mean, that's Russell. Russell sees the game from one prism and that's it. 
But but he's going to bring this up later on, though, in the episode where he's booed, right? It's like, this is the way he lives. So, like, of course, it can be like, well, this is how I'm always going to be on only a three-person allies. That's just how I play. No, Russell, there are so many other things you can do. You don't always have to start the game in a three-person alliance. Okay, I got I got to give a little credit here to a player that Paul maligned earlier here. Is that... Who? Well, why, why Zapatera is so much stronger than Ometepe, it's not just that they have more guys. It's that they have Julie also, who is a firefighter, and she's, like, big and buff and strong. And, like, on the other side, you have, like, Natalie and, like, Andrea, who are tiny. So it's, like, it's not just the guy advantage. It's that they also have Julie, who looks really strong for a woman. She's, like, like built like a fire hydrant. Is that, is, is that, is that the, the resume? You have to be built like a fire hydrant in order to be a firefighter? I'm just saying, since we're going to get a lot of Paul making fun of Julie in this podcast, I have to say one nice thing about her. Here's the deal. I actually think I want to like Julie because she's not someone we see on the show regularly, but she chooses to suck. Okay. (laughs) She chooses to be obnoxious and like never make a, like, I, 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 I just can't. (laughs) <laughs> she's like she kind of looks like her and she's from the same area of the country so she's like bizarro t-bird that is disgraceful that's not i mean bizarro see I, i'll tell you if you negate it she's the exact opposite of t-bird t-bird chooses goodness julie chooses darkness no she doesn't choose anything that's the problem no well, <laughs> but paul just said she chooses to suck so now paul is a huge hypocrite with his stupid old person tattoo on his shoulder I wow. can't counter that. I mean, what do I say to that? <laughs> That's right. Point. You've been checkmated. Okay. So... I know sold that. I just, I'm just not selling that. <laughs> That's fine. No souling's funny too. It's again, a tribute to my famous or my my dead hero now, Norm Macdonald. If you no sell comedy, it's even funnier. So, thank you, Jay. All right. So, uh, Omatepe has been crushed in the first challenge. They have to go to tribal council, and this is where Francesca and Christina kind of talk about their plan. Well. We might have Philip. We're not sure. And then Christina's like, how about we just get everybody to vote for me? I play my idol and we can Boston Rob out, which is not a bad plan in theory. But Francesca wisely points out, well, then what? Now we're just three against five and now we pissed everybody off. So- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every- everyone's just going to be infuri- uh, furious at us. I also love Christina is already so over Philip. She's like, all right. We're going to get all the votes onto me, and then the two of us in Big Mouth over there are going to vote for Rob. <laughs> like, when you've earned a nickname for yourself, when you already have another nickname in the first few days, that's probably not a good sign for your social game. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's so desperate. This is where she tells Philip she has an idol. And then she's like, that probably is not going to go well for me. <laughs> He'll just tell everybody. And, and sure enough, we see the Omatepe. This is where Rob gathers his little cult. And again, it's always described as Rob and his followers. It's probably five very smart people who just know, realize they're the smart ones and need to stick together. Well, we got Rob, Andrea, Matt, Ashley, Natalie, Grant. Oh, there's six. Six. I it's forgot six. about that. There's nine about people Matt. in the tribe. It's everyone but Christina, Francesca, and Philip. But, I mean, you note uh, there's very little mention to heroes versus villains. Rob actually sort of threatens them with what happened to Tyson, right? <laughs> He's like, all right, we'll just split it three, three, three. This happened last time. Don't screw yourself over. You might win another season down the line, but that's not going to mean anything. Yeah, I forgot about that, that they they really sell. I mean, they don't mention his name, but they sell Tyson out where Rob will several times in the season point out. Last time I had a bunch of idiots that couldn't follow instructions. (laughs) Anyway, that's the that's a split vote. Three, three, three. And Christina's kind of screwed. But at least Christina has the idol. 
And they all know she has the idol because I believe Philip tells Rob, right? So they're going to do that at tribal council. Okay, yeah. So Christina is basically safe. They're scared of her. They don't want to vote for her because they know she has the idol. So Francesca becomes Well, they, they the, don't know woman. she has the idol, but they know that she was looking. So they're yeah. like, maybe she has it. That's the thing. So Francesca is really dead woman walking here as the sidekick who doesn't have an idol. Yeah, plus it doesn't help that, again, she made a comment. Well, it's weird, because Rob said he, initially he was targeting Francesca because of the comment she made, but then he was targeting Christina because she was sniffing around the toolbox, but now they're back to targeting Francesca again, of, like, just in case Christina plays the idol. But Rob also, uh, you know, while while Philip is going to obviously earn more ire for getting people's names wrong, he does call them Francine and Christine. So, like, even he is having trouble getting people's names. Maybe it speaks to uh, what Paul said before, of everything's moving so quickly that, like, nobody even knows each other's names. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there, now we... There's that... Go ahead. But, but, but at the same time, I think this is where, because everyone's like, okay, so Rob grabs his cult and he says these things, but, like... This is where the equity comes in, in the sense that that Rob has built up all these days. He, you know, I, I bet you he's taken these these first three days or whatever and hasn't really barked out any orders at anyone. He's not imposed his will on anyone. He's just been big brother Rob helping everyone out, being just a kind face. And, you know, if they ask some sort of question about Survivor, he probably smiled and answered them. They probably asked him, you know, what's Amber like and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he probably just smiled and answered. You know, there, there's all of these sort of things. And so now they're faced with this game thing, right? Where, like, it's all well and good when you're just building shelters and all that sort of stuff. But now they're going to tribal council. And now they go to Rob and go, let's have some expertise. And Rob just goes... Look, there's six of us here. If we just split three and three, the worst that can happen is a three-way tie. And then we vote out, you know, who we want to vote out. Hey, it's easy, you know, and he's not trying to impose his will too much, even though he mm -hmm. is. And he's just basically saying, look, it's let's, this is scary and, and it can be difficult. Let's not make it difficult. Let's just do this easy thing. And it's like they do what he says because here is where he takes all of that equity that he built up. And then he can make a suggestion here, and it's it's a sound one, and they can just follow it. So again, I just want to tell people he's it's not just that he just goes everyone just do the split vote and we'll vote on Francine. It's like he he literally is just being a guide and in in a in a in a warm voice in this sort of uncertain time, and it's so perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really going to build up, like you said, a lot of equity, a lot of power for him. And Rob is going to end up in such an enviable position where people like him, they trust him. And not only that, but Philip will be stirring up so much drama and malice around camp that people will just forget that Rob is really a problem after a while because Philip is always a bigger problem. Right. So, and, and, yeah. I, and I think that's the thing that people don't realize is they always they always say Rob's zombies. Right. And it's the whole mm -hmm. Rob had all of these followers. And it's like, really, I think the bigger ticket for Rob winning this whole thing is Philip and just the chaos that Philip and, and bad will that that Philip was able to sort of generate and Rob, you know, to 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 carry him along in all these sort of ways. I think Philip is way more instrumental in Rob's victory than his his voting alliance, uh, the rest yeah. of his members. And I was going to say at the time, that would have been the perspective that this wasn't really the Rob season. This is the Philip season. OK, let's go to tribal council here where. Yeah, this is a fun one. At the time, everyone talked about how crazy this one, this scene was, and this was a fun one. And again, Redemption Island started with a lot of momentum, and you'll see why, because this first tribal council is big, where they get there, and it's basically six against three. And now Philip, because Philip is uh, realizes he's kind of in a hot seat, he's not in the win with the cool club, 
Now he starts selling out Francesca and Christina, where he explains to Rob, he's like, they tried to get you voted out. I wouldn't do it. They're against you. And he basically blows up their entire spot. And so it puts the spotlight right back on Christina and, and Francesca away from Philip for a little bit. You kind of forget that, that Philip's on the outs and he's pushing the target away from him. But all of a sudden, the two women are in are screwed here, basically. I'm going to shut up and I'm, and I'm going to let you guys talk. And I, I don't want to talk about anything else. But I, again, I want to just bring this up. I know that tribal councils in real life are like three to four times, you know, longer than what we see on, on television and per- perhaps even so much longer because the tribal council is like, what, five, six minutes on TV and it's probably like an hour, an hour and a half in real life. And mm-hmm. Jeff Probst is asking a bunch of questions. I get the fact that we are not seeing all of tribal council. I'm totally aware of that. But from the way they edit it and the way they go, Jeff goes to Rob with a question, says, hey, Rob, so you're here. How's everything going? Blah, blah, blah. Rob says, everything's great. Philip took the lead and, you know, got us going and blah, 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 blah. And it's like that served two purposes. One, he's outwardly saying something nice about Philip and Philip being a leader. And two, he knows then that Philip is going to talk like it's so (laughs) perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we should also mention here that at least the way it's edited it's too believe because I, I can feel you, Mario, that like he knows he's on the chopping block. He's one of three. Let me try to like foist the target off of myself. I think the way it's portrayed, though, is that Francesca talks about Redemption Island and she goes, you know, Rob is an example. I mean, not like Rob's going, but here's what happens. And I think the way it's shown is that Philip like mistakes that to believe that they're not voting off Rob. And so like he is confused about that. But mm-hmm. again, I, I think that is a little bit more of like editing magic than Philip d- doesn't understand what subtlety is. And so he t- realizes he thinks that they're not voting with him. And so he throws Francesca and Christina under the bus. Yeah, I think the truth here underneath all this, again, this is just speculation. Philip thinks he's the leader in charge of this tribe. Everyone starts talking about Boston Rob, like he's the leader of the tribe. And I think Philip just takes offense to that and kind of just gets angry. That's what I think happens here. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But this is where we obviously get into the big thing, right? Philip, uh, you know, is, is talking about how there he was betrayed, right? Like, oh, I make a statement to you. I do everything I can to adhere to that. And so my vote tonight will be for Francesqua. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was a big running joke at the time. I can already hear Paul laughing. You enjoyed this scene, Paul? Yes, I just love how like, like he says it with such like confidence, like yes. which I think is like a lot of the like yeah the Philip coach archetype. Like you say something with such confidence, even if you're you know you're you're uh, <laughs> yeah. you you don't have your facts right. You just yeah you say it with confidence, and then her response repeatedly is so funny. How she's like kind of collapsed over her hand, and every time he can't say it, she just says Cheska, Francesca. <laughs> Yes. Francesca. Like, it's so funny. I would like to announce to the world I will be voting for Francesca. <laughs> yeah, it's just a running Cheska. joke. Yeah, every time she she repeats or she corrects him. And then Philip's uh, defense is that he has dry mouth and he's been getting treatment for it. Yeah, like what? But I'm so intrigued by this. My mouth is dry and I've been getting treatment for it. Like, does this mean on island or is this like a, a sympathy story for day 39 of like, please give me money. My mouth is so dry. I'm going to fill it with all the liquid in the world if you give me money. What's funny is I've been through treatment for dry mouth. You get a dry tongue. It's all brittle and your mouth feels weird. It does not cause you to mispronounce names. Surprisingly. 
Is it just you can't say ch? Like, is that the one syllable right. that can't come out of his I'm mouth thinking... because his mouth is so dry? I'm thinking ch. I'm making the note ch. Yeah, you really got to have a really wet whistle for yeah, that one. Exactly. Like, ch, oh, uh, Rob, can you get me some more rice? I really want to sue it. <laughs> That was great. No, I well mean, I'm a, Germ- I'm a German teacher. There's way more sounds that you can make with your mouth, you know, that require the whole, you know, the back of your mouth and such. That ch is just kind of at the front. <laughs> Dry mouth must wreak havoc in Germany. It's really brutal, especially if you have the, the equivalent of Francesca is Franziska. And that's, you know, not good for dry mouth. I do believe that's one of the names that Philip actually called her at one point. He lapsed into <laughs> German. I think so too. Sorry, I last 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 lapsed into German there. I have dry mouth. Yeah, she's Frau Cheska. <laughs> Frau Cheska, I like that one too. Does he mean to imply that this is in some sort of medical condition? Is this a side effect of some sort of like medication he's taking? <laughs> I mean, that's his implication. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to this young lady. I have a medical condition. That's what he's saying. Yet it sounds very disrespectful. And then we also get. I think this is probably the most prototypical Boston Rob move that we see, right? We see this get repeated uh, in Winners at War, where Boston Rob's going to say, oh, Christina, you have the idol. Okay, show it to me. You know, and, and, and you know what? If you give it to me, then we'll keep you safe tonight. Like, that is very much the straight out of the Godfather stuff. Like Jay said, I think it's actually a very soft hand that he uses to guide this tribe in the first little bit. But this is one of those more aggro Boston Rob moves. And to be fair, it's set up by Philip, who, you know, during his fight with Christina and Francesca, just says, fine, Christina has the idol. And that's how it all starts. And Boston Rob's like, really? You got the idol? We didn't know that. Yeah. So he's like, we're hurt. How dare you not share that with the rest of us? That's a great Boston Rob move. Right. But I think you're right, Mike, in the sense that he didn't forget how to, how to strong arm people, right? It's not, it's not that he forgot, but this is a win-win situation. Like, he can't possibly come out looking bad from this, you know, if he, because – Again, even though he's he's being very bold here and and demanding a lot, like show me the idol, hand me the idol, let, I want to see these things, and if not, I can't trust you. Like, it's very heavy-handed what he's doing here. But at the same time, he's not yelling. He's not. He's just basically saying, "Oh, you have it. Show everyone. Don't show me." Or or blah blah blah. He's literally like, "Come on, you know, let's see the idol. Then prove your word." And I I think that he's he's literally like, "The advantages are plenty. The drawbacks are none." Yeah. And it's a great move, and again, Christina's screwed that her whole game has been blown up, and that's it. It's really Christina or Francesca tonight, and sure enough, they split the whole vote, and at the end of the night, uh, Francesca, 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 goes home. And, and Philip even writes, like, he doesn't have dry hand. Why does he write <laughs> Francesca on the ballot? <laughs> that's one of the side effects of the dry mouth. It's the, the neurons between the brain and the hand. They do not connect correctly. I'm just so dry, everyone. I can't do anything. I'm too dry. <laughs> so Francesca goes home. Philip somehow saves himself and causes havoc. But the, the trade-off is Christina does not play her idol. She holds on to it. So she's safe at least one more tribal council, even though it's really going to be 7-1 to one against her from now on. She will never have any purchase in this game ever again. And with that, we lose our first member of Redemption Island. Francesca goes off to Redemption Island, where she's just pissed at Philip. I can't believe Philip did that to me. She hopes he's going to be next. She assumes he's going to be next so she can beat him in a duel. And with that... We go back to uh, Omatepe after Tribal Council, start of uh, episode two, 
And this is where the Boston Rob Philip dynamic is really going to turn into what people remember it as, where Philip is so I don't even know what the word would be, shaken, rattled, enlightened, whatever, whatever happened to tribal council, he realizes he's not in charge now. He's mm. not the alpha male. So now he goes to Rob and just kisses more butt than anybody's butt has ever been kissed on Survivor. He's like, basically, I love you. You're the greatest. I am humble. I kneel before you. Um, the penitent man will pass. But just tell me who to vote for for the rest of the game. That's all I'll do. You own my vote. This is a really fun Boston Rob scene. I love, he has two really great lines. The first is, you know, I know uh, Philip and Christina were lying. It doesn't take a genius FBI man to figure it out. All you need to do is look at their faces and watch their lips moving, essentially <laughs> saying, like, they just needed to talk and they incriminated themselves. And then after, like you said, Philip, like, essentially gets down on his knees and is like, you know, you own my vote. I'm working with you forever. <laughs> Rob just says, uh, let that be a lesson. Government jobs, stressful. <laughs> uh, it's so good. That he's is such, the best quote of the season. He's he's such an entertainment. You know what I mean. And so that's that's always the maddening thing because we have we have spent a good portion of this episode sort of deriding Survivor for, oh, you're just gonna bring back returnees. You're not confident in your product to bring new uh, people on the show and have all these sorts of things. But you're like, <laughs> Rob said, funny. <laughs> well, again, episode one is big. That's a fun, memorable episode with a lot of big stuff going on. Episode two, we're going to start the saga of poor Maddie Elrod here. So there's a lot of fun stuff. And then we got the fall of Russell in three and four. So again, if you haven't watched this season in a while, it starts big. It's huge. Also, uh, can someone go back and check? Because I wrote it down, but I, I didn't, even though I totally have the rewind capability, I didn't rewind. At the first tribal council, when Jeff has people vote, I think Andrea is the first one to go up. Does he call her Andy? <laughs> I did not catch that. Or does he say Andrea, you're up, and I just didn't hear it. I mean, correctly. he may also have dry mouth, which does <laughs> cause Andrea to be pronounced as Andy. So, what did, did did everyone walk in there instead of ringing a gong? They just lick sandpaper. What's all the dry <laughs> mouth? I could be. I'm totally gonna do that every time I like just totally me you know mess up someone's name. Just blame it on dry mouth. I could to be totally wrong, but I just I literally wrote in my notes. I was like, did he say Andy? And I literally wrote that in my notes. That's it. Wow, maybe she had a nickname that didn't stick. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably me hearing wrong. So, you know, let's 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 call a spade a spade. But it yes. might be a it might be a Silas aka chip situation. Maybe she has multiple personalities. I can still make that joke. That one's okay because that's about the name, it's not the person. <laughs> so uh, we get more <laughs> Omotepe bagging on Philip here, right? Like Philip's hunting for crabs with a spear, and like Matt actually does one of those, you know, stir Steve Irwin. Uh, though that might have been in poor taste at that point. Uh, voices. So can we talk about the the tidy whities for a second? Because this has been a little disputed, uh, right? Because this is going to be one of like the infamous things Rob's going to talk about all the time, his junks hanging out. I believe Philip has recently said in an interview that he was given that by production. Obviously, they do a lot of color coordination. I think since uh, Token Sheens, they've tried to do it. Omotepe wears a lot of oranges, reds, pinks, and apparently that was provided to him. And it should also be mentioned that this is another season where they are stranded with the clothes on their backs. And I think there's actually a secret scene where Christina, in retribution for what Philip did, uh, ruins his denim pants. And so Philip is actually not unlike Mr. Rupert Bonham. Like, his jeans are absolutely ruined. He does not have anyone to make a skirt for him. And so he is kind of stuck in this underwear for the rest of the season that everyone will mercilessly mock him for. Yeah, yeah but he does have swimwear at some point. 
Is that later? Does that come later? They win that in a reward, maybe? Not much later. I, th- I thought they gave. I thought maybe they gave the swimwear because for that second challenge where they go swimming. Uh, yeah. Because Francesca's also pops up on Redemption Island in the second episode, so yeah. I think they maybe got their swimwear during that second episode. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think they had it at the start, but they have it fairly early because there are shots of him, you know, around camp with with a pair of swim trunks on. So. But yeah, that is a good point that Mike brought up. And it is something that Survivor fans need to remember because a lot of people, you know, I hate to be too blunt about this, but tend to speak about Survivor as if they know more about it than they actually do. And so they they criticize the players for stuff that you can't really blame them for. And this is one of those things that a lot of the times the producers tell the players what to wear. So if you're making fun of Philip for having the tidy whiteies, the pink underwear, that might not have been his choice. He may have been forced into that, like Chris Doherty with his wife beater tank top with Cochran with a sweater vest, Lil with her Boy Scout uniform. Like a lot of this stuff, they don't choose to wear this. The producers have chosen it for them. Although I will say, on a fashion standpoint, this isn't Philip, but um, mm-hmm. I just want to say that that Grant has a pair of red Toms that he wears, and I owned a pair of those shoes, not because of Grant, and and I owned them right around that same time. <laughs> Grant wore a pair of red Toms. Uh, so I wore a pair of red toms because I needed to wear the red toms of someone who was on Survivor who played in the NFL for four years on three teams. So, like, you know, these are things that happen. But but I just I love those shoes. I loved those shoes. They finally got destroyed, you know, from use and all that sort of stuff. But they were so super comfortable. And every time I see him wearing them, I'm like, I bet you he's comfortable out there. <laughs> this is back when Grant fashion mania was sweeping the country. Exactly. All right, so let's talk about this crab hunting scene because this is one that I wrote about specifically on the Funny 115. And I was very sympathetic to it in my entry because I feel bad about this scene. Like, do you do you guys, when you watch this scene, do you feel bad for Philip or you just laugh at it? I noticed that it's multiple takes because there are some parts where he's crab hunting in his underwear and he's wearing like kind of tan sort mm-hmm. of shoes. And then there are times where he's crabbing and he's wearing like slippers, like slip-on shoes. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if they, because he's going to go crab hunting again, I think, in episode four or something, too, right? So I would not be surprised if they took the footage of multiple trips. I mean, I do feel kind of bad, but at the same time, it is one of these things where the attitude with which he walks around camp, I wouldn't say he kind of brings it upon himself, but it's clear he's not getting along with everybody. I don't Uh think it's on the, it's, I I would say I pity more so Rupert getting pointed and laughed at by Burton and Sean more so than I do them doing the impression of, you know, Philip hunting crabs. So I think that's also a thing of like, why isn't anyone else hunting crabs? At this <laughs> that's point? my question. That's my question more than anything else is, is this an activity that everyone's doing? And yet then he does it on his own and has his own flair because he's throwing a stick at it or, or, or something like that. Or is he like, I see these crabs. I'm going to go hunt these crabs. And he makes a big deal about it and no one else really cares or does it. Like what's the breakdown here on the crabbing? Yeah, my my argument with this one isn't so much the crab scene, which is a great scene. I love it. I think it's funny. But the confessional, they play over it. This is his heroic speech, and he's very earnest in his confessional. And it's obviously not stuff he's saying when he's hunting crabs. But it's a whole speech about how, you know, I served in the military. I served my country. I came from a poor family. And because of the military, they taught me trustworthiness, nobility. I love America. You know, I've worn the uniform. I've done the sacrifice. This is a very earnest speech he's giving, and they play it over a dumbass scene of him hunting crabs, which I always thought was very disrespectful to a guy who's really pouring his heart out in a confessional there. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, listen to it. It's really, if you listen to the words, 
and ha- if they'd played that confessional straight, that's a big Philip hero scene, but they play it over this hilarious scene of him hunting crabs in his underwear, which again, that's the kind of stuff I get more sensitive to as I get older when the show's just trying to embarrass people and using like their words, but that are serious words, but in a silly way. This is a really egregious example if you pay attention to it. It's really nasty. Yeah, I just more so pay attention to like the Stuart Smalley of it all, right? Of like, I feel okay with myself. Yeah, but it's again, it's a very earnest speech. He's not joking around, and that I don't think that's a speech they should be making fun of personally. I think it's a very nice speech. But again, to each his own. I just personally have a problem with the scene, and that's like when I wrote about it on the Funny One Fifteen. I didn't call it the Philip Crab Hunting scene. I called it the one where the editors murder Philip. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's but that's an iconic scene. Everyone remembers that scene from this episode. I will also give a lot of credit to Philip, though. He was able to kill a crab with a rock? That's right. Yeah, the old David versus Goliath. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, Billy Bean, like, just is, love, is loving the stats that he's doing right now. The accuracy to do that. Though I think the crab was still alive when he picked it up, so I think he more so just knocked it over with a rock. <laughs> yeah, that happens. I, do, do you watch the show, uh, Mike, Switching Reality Shows? There's that show Alone? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, which, I guess, is, like, actual Survivor? For people who go, yeah, but in basically the what that... it is is they strand people in the wilderness and just say last as long as you can. Right, and what's funny is is that some of the some of the people they bring out like traps and snares that they can catch small game, and then some of them bring uh, bows and arrows that they might have catch bird. But there have been people that see squirrels or birds, and they literally will huck a rock at it, and sometimes they will kill it. And wow. I'm sitting there going like, what the hell? <laughs> Wow, I had no idea that was a thing. But yeah, Philip indeed does hit a crab with a rock, and those are not big crabs; those are little ones. Oh, that's it's it's super impressive. That's right. He is the specialist, you know. Yes. Yeah, he has yet. To, <laughs> I I forgot when Stealth RS comes in. Luckily, we have not gotten there yet. The specialist has yet to come about. This surprisingly is Philip's dormant period in the season. <laughs> Yeah, and I should say the audience is, for the most part, at the time, enjoying Philip's antics at this point in the season. He's a fun new character. It's comical at this point. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Zapatera. Guess what? Guess what the storyline is on Zapatera? Russell pulling in the young women and looking for idols. Because now we meet, apparently there's someone named Krista on this tribe who we're never going to really hear from the rest of the season. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. now I have Stephanie and Krista. So Russell has his two young dumbass girls and they start looking for idols, and this is where the other tribe just kind of looks and says, is this idiot just doing the exact same thing again? And this is, again, the entire story on Zapatera. And here's the fun part, is that, again, the irony of all ironies, to end Russell's game, the guy who fruitlessly looks for idols season after season, loses out finding the idol to someone who wasn't even looking for it in the first place. (laughs) For some reason, Ralph went rock collecting, and happened to find the idol. Now, I know that we have we have this happen with Keith a few seasons from now, but Ralph, I think, was the first person to find an idol completely by accident. Which, yeah, like, that's great. That, sh- that should tell you something about Survivor more than anything else, that, like, literally dude stumbled on it without even looking for it. <laughs> it's weird, though, because Rob's going to talk in the next couple episodes about how difficult it was to find his idol. It, yeah, it is odd that maybe the first idol hidden in the season under the rocks was the easiest one out of everything. Or you could just point to the conspiracy theory thing. Surprisingly, there was an idol on Russell's beach that was easy to find. If you just wanted to point that out. Well, no, Rob, Rob finding the idol, that was idol number two. So, you know, maybe they upped the difficulty there, right? Because yeah. Christina finds the first idol on Ometepe, and it was 
like under a rock, right? Like, yeah. or, you know, in, in the tree or, you know, it, it was sort of in the same general ish position that Ralph's idol was, but you're exactly right, Mike. Here's, here's, here's Russell. And he's like, I'm going to go find an idol and do this thing. And then Ralph just is collecting rocks and says, Oh, look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. Cause it's right after they play it right after a confessional of Russell pointing out that Ralph may be the stupidest human being alive. He's the biggest <laughs> dumbass to ever play survivor. And then Russell, Ralph goes out and finds Russell's idol. So Ralph's going to be the one to ruin his game, which is just hilarious. And I would imagine, I don't know, I, I guess I'll throw the question out. What do you think people thought, or what do you think production thought about Russell in this season? Because yeah. at this point, it has come out that Russell was part of the Jim Early stuff, right? That he had spoiled 20, 19 and 20. They brought him back, though. And again, there's this weird mixed message they provide of like, well, you voted Russell out, so it screwed your tribe. But then you have these moments where he is maligning the very people who end up finding an idol instead of him and one-upping him. So I'm, I'm really intrigued as to what production thought about Russell at this point. First off, before we answer that, explain to people who Jim Early is, because we're going to have a lot of uh, listeners that won't know that name. Yes. So we, we talked about this a bit during uh, definitely Samoa, maybe during Heroes vs. Villains. Jim Early went by the Survivor Sucks username Missy AE was a member of the Survivor spoiler community who had incredibly accurate spoilers about the entirety of Samoa and Heroes versus Villains. Uh, you know, they were probably some of the most correct spoilers out there in Survivor history. It came out in the woodwork afterwards. That's because Russell Hans fed them directly to Jim Early. And actually, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, Russell sort of has a tied destiny here with Jim Early because Jim Early does come back, surprise, surprise, to spoil this season, but it is 100% incorrect. Uh, Jim Early says that two celebrities come on to play this season. Uh, a woman by the name of Carrie Prejean, who I believe was like a Miss South Carolina or something. No, she was in Ca California, I think. Miss California. And Kimbo Slice, uh, who was a, I think it was a, a popular UFC fighter or uh, maybe a boxer or something like that. And Jim Early comes out with this big spoiler. You won't believe what happens in episode one. Kimbo Slice gets the tribe together to idle out Boston, to get out Boston Rob. But Carrie Prejean finds the hidden immunity idol, gives it to Boston Rob. Boston Rob says, you don't mess with me. He idles out Kimbo Slice in the first episode of Survivor Redemption Island. And he was incredibly discredited as a result. Uh, and so it ends up being a downward spiral for both Russell and Jim Early, who provides about five different things incorrectly at the same time to make up for all the correct things he did two seasons prior. Yeah, and that, of course, leads into the question you just asked before that. What did the producers think of Russell Hans? And this is something I have pondered for years because I change my opinion on this all the time. And I'm curious what you guys think. Like, What did you think the producers thought of Russell at this point. Now, clearly, they hand him his ass on a silver platter in the editing in this season. It's clear they don't like him by now. But did they like him going into this season? Was was the plan to embarrass Russell, do you think? No. I, I mean, I have to believe they were, you know, loved all the attention he brought. And I think they saw the flip from Samoa to, to Heroes vs. Villains where there was a lot of people who loved to hate on him 
uh, in Samoa, but were very much behind him. And they saw kind of the public turn on him. And I think they were really ready to ride that ride that wave as long as it was going to go. Probably knowing that it was going to he was going to crash and burn. But I feel like they still had high hopes for him going into the season uh, to build a whole season around him partially. Uh, that's just my two cents. Yeah, I I personally think they loved him at least at the start. He brought them a lot of notoriety. Um, my personal feelings are Russell wasn't really that big a deal to the show. He was like a speed bump that kind of interrupt the show and ruined it for a while. But that's not generally the public perception. But I think the producers knew he was their meal ticket for a while. They probably also knew his shtick really only worked once, which is why they really brought him back as soon as they could to see if they could capture lightning in a bottle twice. And like Paul said, they really built the season up around him. I think they really gave him every opportunity to succeed. But when he didn't succeed, they were more than happy to rip him down just as happy as just quickly as they built him up. Because, again, TV giveth and TV taketh away. And we can make you into a legend. We can destroy your legend, too. And I think they were between that and the stuff out behind the scenes, like Mike said, that Russell was causing problems, feeding spoilers, getting in trouble for it. I know at one point I thought there was a rumor he'd even been sued. I don't know if he actually was, but no, I, but, I, I believe actually, I think Jim early sued him. I believe, but yeah, Russell was in a uh, perfect vortex of the show, really being gleeful about taking him down here. And, and they did, but I don't think they hated him all the time. Though that being said, I do not think they cast him on this season thinking he would win. Like, I think at this point they knew this dude was never going to change well, let's just get as much entertainment value out of him as possible. Maybe Rob. Maybe they feel like Rob has enough of a head on his shoulders to feel like he can change his game. Russell never will, but hell, he'll make some good TV however long he lasts. Yeah. And at least right, we have Redemption Island, so he'll have three episodes. Right, because because Rob can go all the ways. Like, they could vote him out first because he's a returnee. But Rob, for most of his time, he's kind of a a, a merge boot, right? Like, two of his... Two of his survivor runs, he was sort of a, a a boot right around the merge, right? And in one of his seasons, he goes to the end, right? Whereas Russell has been on twice, he went to the end twice, right? And they know him and they know his reputation. So they're like, with Russell, either he's out really early or he's going to go real far somehow. And either way, it's going to be a good story, right? Whereas with Rob, it's like a million things can happen with Rob. Yeah, but it's pretty clear they were happy when Russell failed. They have a chance to take digs at him. Yeah, they can really set up like the Russell gets outsmarted by his tribe, but also shame on you tribe for voting out Russell. <laughs> also, an entire sequence dedicated to his armpit pus. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we have to, we'll talk about that eventually. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's let's fast forward through here. So so this is the episode where, uh, where Ralph finds the idol. We're going to go to Ometepe. And this is where, this is kind of an interesting scene here where Rob sees that Matt and Andrea are very close. Perhaps not in a romantic way, but they're best friends. Matt is kind of smitten with Andrea, as many people would be. And uh, she says, you know, he's like my best friend. We're not romantic, but I like having him around. And Rob, of all people, realizes perhaps a romantic couple on Survivor is dangerous and can go very far like he once did. And he's like, we got to vote them out. And so he starts floating the idea to his people like, you know, those two are dangerous. But at the start, he wants to get rid of Andrea because she's the weaker one. They want Matt's uh, strength around. That's going to be flipped later because of the challenge. We'll get to that in a second. But this is where Rob also has handpicked Natalie as his final two opponent just because she's a nice girl, but she's kind of naive, kind of needs to be told what to do. 
he's one of the she's one of the people he knows he can probably beat at the end, and that's important. Yeah, he literally says, right, like I have to pick up this girl, throw her over my back, and take her to the final three. <laughs> he's gonna carry her on his shoulder, just like his family on his back. He's, he's gonna be literally going yeah. to carry her on his back. Oh, Jeff Probst. Je- Jeff Probst is the worst this season. I am just. <laughs> No, well, like, let's remember, I, we talked about this a bit during Nicaragua. Like, I think this is Jeff Probst really starting to come into his own. This is around the time that, like, he's floating at the idea of the Jeff Probst yeah. show out there. So, like, I think he's trying to get a little more goofy. It is interesting that, like, he surprisingly has restraint during that first tribal council. I think at that point he's like, let these people make the magic. You know, let me just sit back and watch. He's going to be, uh, he's going to have a lot more smarminess coming up over the course of these next few episodes. But, yeah. Throw Rob Mariano on, like, his winning season. Jeff Probst is going to have a field day with it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun with that later. Okay, let's go to the episode two immunity challenge, which is really the downfall of Matt Elrod. And I'd argue Andrea was probably going to go out of the two, but Matt seals his own fate here. I'll just yada yada through this. This is the challenge in the Fabio Memorial Piss Pool. And uh, yeah, once you once you piss in a pool, it's like, you know, we expect that every other time this challenge is going to be run. So if there's no piss in the pool, we're disappointed. (laughs) Probably Julie. And then she probably (laughs) and then she probably said, I I've never peed in a pool before. I I am. I very much care about being sanitary. And that's why I peed in the pool. Exactly. Have it both ways. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Zapatero wins this challenge for the second in a row. It's very close. This one's much closer than the first one because uh, Paul's favorite Sarita is very weak in the water. But Zapatero still wins. And this is where Matty Elrod, maybe the the goodest dude in the history of Survivor, seals his own fate. After the challenge, Mr. Bible Warrior walks over to Zapatero and says, good job. You beat us today, but good effort. I appreciate the effort. And Boston Rob is like, oh, hell no. You do not handshake the other tribe after we lose. And that seals Matt's fate right there. Okay. So <laughs> I get it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I I understand in, in competition, you know, people who've played high school sports or, or collegiate sports or, or, you know, intramural sports or whatever was going on. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, you handshake after the game sometimes as, as a thing. But for the most part, you know, when, when it's a game and a competition, yeah, you lost this challenge. But, like, there's going to be more challenges. Your, your teams are not breaking up, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is something that's going to continue. You probably keep it to yourself. I understand, you know, this is just a reason for, for Rob to kind of, you know, get Matt out, you know. And, and I think that he sees this and seizes this opportunity. Like, he went over there and handshaked him. You, you, you don't go over and handshake him. But, like, at the same time, I think I look at these first two boots from this game, Francesca and Matt Elrod. They are both they both strike me as good people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that just truly good people don't do well in Survivor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just one of those like Francesca's too good for this game. She's too smart, too nice, too, you know, too educated, too a lot of things. And it's just eh, it's, it's not going to fly. That's interesting, because I would not say too good. Too I pure. think that. I too think, pure. Yeah, Matt, Matt Elrod is very too pure. I think that describes him to a T. I think he is someone who also, admittedly, you know what? He's an actor. He might not necessarily be there to play Survivor necessarily. What Russell's going to accuse Zapatera of for some reason, I think you could very much ascribe to Matt Elrod. I think Francesca very much wanted to be there. And I think she's a she's a very smart person. I just think she happens to like have a lot of things really fall badly in her corner but i do agree that matt in particular is someone that's like what you would blind sign me 
a little yeah. too earnest for his own good. And and you that voted makes, me make, out, man. Why? Because yeah, you make a good point, Jay. Because some some people are too nice for Survivor, and the the corollary there is nice people don't often win Survivor. No, and it, it does great, happen. Yeah, and I, oh, and I don't want to I don't want to sit here and imply that those who have won Survivor have done well are are bad people because you know great people don't do well in Survivor, but like. Uh, nice people don't do well in Survivor, but it's harder. It's much harder, I think. You know, you, you have to have some sort of killer instinct in you to kind of get the job done or, or go all the way, you know? And and I, I'm i not saying that's a good trait or a bad trait, but it's a trait. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you just don't have it. Yeah, I want to bring up Tom Westman here because for years he was always considered one of the, you know, best dudes to win Survivor. You know, firefighter, 9-11, first responder, just a good dude. But Tom would be the first one to tell you, I had to break some kneecaps out there. I'm yep. sorry, but I had to do that. That's just what you got to do. So that's the corollary. And uh, yeah, so Matt, now now obviously the, the shallow, more shallow version of, of reading the scene is Boston Rob votes this guy out because he shakes the other team's hand. But I do think there's a bigger picture there that Boston Rob is like, this guy's playing for jury votes. He's over there trying to win the social game. Hell no on my watch. You're not doing that this early. So it's a little bigger than just shaking the hand, I think. Right. And I think that, you know, he was targeting Matt and Andrea, right? But I think his preference was probably, well, we'll get rid of Andrea because Matt is stronger for challenges. But then Matt does all this and it's like, okay, it could be Matt. No, it's it's control is what it is. I mean, it's not too far of a stone's throw that hits a crab away from what happened in Marquesas, where (laughs) you could argue Hunter is a stronger challenge performer, but Hunter is someone who doesn't necessarily want to work with Boston Rob. And so if Boston Rob's on a losing challenge streak, stop me if you've heard this before, and is like, screw it, if we lose challenges anyway, it doesn't really matter. Let me get rid of someone who I want to get rid of. And, you know, the, the same thing happens here. Now, of course, things turn around, for Omatepe in this case, but I do think it, it's a bit of a tendency that throws back to his very first season. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to talk about Marquesas as well. That at the time, historically, people may not know this again if you weren't there, but you know, Boston Rob, it's not just him, it's him, Vesepia, Sean. They all team up to vote out Hunter, which at the time everyone like was like, they're losing challenges. Why on earth would you vote out the alpha male? That is the stupidest thing that has ever happened on Survivor. But Boston Rob doesn't really play by those rules. He plays by who he can control. He knows he can't control Matt. So it's really the exact same thing. Ometepe, you're losing all these challenges. You're getting beat. You're way weaker. Why would you vote out Matt? That's nuts. It's exactly, like you said, it's not even a stone's throw away. It's exactly the same as Marquesas. Yeah, and I think someone says, I forget who it is in one of these episodes, but they're basically like, I'd rather go to the merge with nine dysfunctional tribe members than six who are functioning well or something like that. And I get the whole, I get the whole point of like, I want to go with numbers and all that sort of stuff, but there is something to be said for you get rid of the people that are not going to vote with you. And you know, this, this comes into play in theory, it comes mm-hmm. into play when we have Stephanie and uh, Krista out on the outs with Zapatera. It's like if they, if they managed to have won all of the rest of the challenges and went into the merge, with with eight of their tribe members, they're going in with six because the other two are gonna are gonna flip, right? Yeah. There's a lot so, of survivor theory here early on on both yeah. tribes. It's 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 interesting all these ways. But to me, it was just one of those where Rob's Rob's thinking of getting rid of Matt for the reasons we've enumerated, and then he goes over and congratulates the other team, and it's like, ah, oh, well, now you've given them the superficial reason to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. It's like, all right, this is our rallying cry, right? Like. 
I can imagine there's a world where some of the Alliance members bristle at getting rid of Map, and now Rob can bring up he's not working with us. Unity! Uh, you know, we've, we've got to make sure we're, we're one, you know, cohesive block here. Uh, so... The, the thing that I like about, again, the use of one challenge here is that we now get time back with the winning tribe, which is fun. Uh, even though mostly, again, <laughs> it's going to revolve around stupid idol clues. Yeah, the, uh, again, Russell's legacy is being flushed down the toilet so fast in the first two episodes. <laughs> this whole scene is Zapatera back at camp, and, and because they won the reward, there's a basket. Russell sees a clue in the basket. He grabs it out. And, of course, everybody sees him because they know he's going to do that. And they're trying to ask him, like, did you find a clue? He's like, no, I didn't find no clue. And they're like, but we saw you find the clue. You won't even share the clue with us, you moron. And then Russell's off looking for the idols with Krista and Stephanie. And it's just the entire tribe just laughing at him. Like, you've never seen Russell being laughed at. You've seen Sandra talking shit about him. But you've never seen everyone just openly laughing at him like Zapatero will do. Where To the point, Ralph will confront him here. Like, I'm a, I'm a smarter player than you, Russell. And Russell's like, I don't like why you, I don't like you coming at me, Ralph. But, like, the Zapateras just openly mock him to his face because they know he has no power and will never be able to do anything. He's like a zoo attraction at this point. <laughs> well, no, it's almost like he's a toy. Yeah. Is what it is. Like, I love the fact that he literally walks in and Russell actually says, again, you're with me or you're against me. I cannot believe for the life of me he still is pulling the same shit that lost him the game unanimously the last time he played. Right, yeah. but the pro the problem is is that he does not find fault in the first two games that he played, right? Like, in his mind, I played super well, some bullshit happened, and, you know, I lost on a technicality or, or something along those lines. Instead of saying, wow, I got to the end but i got shellacked both times what can i do differently he just goes in there and says i'm going to play survivor how i play survivor is i get two girls and i find idols <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna change from that like okay yeah. and, and and that's the whole thing and and so the problem is is that when you have that and and like mike said you, it's almost like there's a string and you pulled it on his back and you either with me or you're against me like he's he's saying his catchphrases I just the issue I have with Russell more than anything else. Like if that's how you're going to play, that's how you're going to play. If you don't want to learn or adapt or play a different way, that hey, that's on you. And and I'm I'm not really going to uh, uh, knock you one way or the other, except to say maybe maybe try to adapt in some way. But the fact that he brought everybody in and says I am not going to play that, I would be an idiot to play that way, and then proceed to play that way right in front of them. Like you know they're going to watch you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and again, like, like we said at the start, there's many reasons people hate the season. People who hate Russell hate seeing this shit all over again. People who love Russell hate seeing what happens to Russell. There's no advantage to his, having him in this season, really. No, it's lose-lose, and, yeah. and, and that's how it goes. But again, it's this, he's, he's talking, he's talking about idle things, and then, you know, someone comes over and he just starts going, Matt, Sarita was bad. <laughs> Okay, well, well, let's skip forward. I, I'm hoping we can at least get through three episodes in this podcast. That's what we've come to. Well, here. I, I think I think four <laughs> is fine. Like honestly, after uh, after Russell loses in four, it is sort of like a yada yada through what happens. Okay, I will see. We'll all race through here. So, uh, this is uh, Omatepe has lost their second straight immunity challenge, and I'd kind of forgotten this fun part of the season where, <laughs> after every challenge, Philip brings them back to camp and he debriefs them. Let's talk about it. 
And Rob says, oh, it's great. We have tribal council before tribal council. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> so this is, the, this is why, like, Boston Rob is great at reacting. I think it's almost like Colby in that instance where, like, he just provides mm-hmm. very fun reactions. Like, he's his own character in some right, but he also functions as a really fun straight man in certain aspects to people around him. And so, yeah, like you said, it's it's great because every single time Omotepe loses, and they lose three times in the course of these four episodes, it's constantly going to be Philip trying to give this big Coach Taylor speech uh, <laughs> to everybody as they're trying to, you know, rouse their spirits. Yeah, okay. And the big picture here is this is going to be the Matt Elrod downfall episode, the start of one of my favorite unintentionally funny stories in Survivor history where... Rob has decided Matt is going to go tonight. Matt is just too good for this game. He's playing the social game too much. He's angling for jury votes. He just kind of makes Rob sick, and he's got to vote him out, but he's got to convince the rest of his alliance to do this, who is none too uh, eager at the start. So Rob slowly works on him, works on him, points out the handshake, says the couples are dangerous, got to do this. And I think Rob is probably even surprised he's able to do this, but it, it happens. But the key variable here is Philip. Because now Rob is going to start pulling Philip into his little alliance of six because, you know, if you lose Matt, you may lose Andrea. So Rob is trying to hedge his bets, bring in other people that he may control later. Much very similar to what Coach will do with Edna the next season. Always have this side character I can use as an extra vote if I need them. But this is the scene where Coach says, or uh, it's a Coach, funny how I'd get them compared, confused, where Rob says, all right, Philip, you can vote with us tonight. We're not going to vote you out. But I'm not going to tell you who to vote for because he doesn't trust Philip won't just blab it to everybody. So what I'll do is I'll touch the person on the shoulder at tribal council, and that's how you know who to vote for. And this is like the big test to see if Philip can be trusted. Yeah, and I think that this is something that they bring up in what? I think it's Caramoan, right? Where uh, they do that joke where Malcolm puts his hand on Cochrane, I think, in that first <laughs> tribal council. So again, this is like yeah. the like um, a Boston Rob legacy move that gets mentioned in the future, too. Yeah, I actually have an email about this I want to read. A reader named Jack Vita sent this in, and he said, this is really kind of interesting. I want to point this out. He goes, you know, I love seeing Rob bring Philip into the fold in episode two. I find their relationship really fascinating. And I love Rob's whole, at tribal, I'm going to touch the shoulder of the person I want you to vote for thing. It fits in so well with the biblical themes of Redemption Island. He said, Mario, I know you're not religious, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Judas betrays Jesus at the Last Supper and tells Pontius Pilate's soldiers, the one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. Judas is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he betrays Jesus. So Judas kisses Jesus, a signal that's the one that they want. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. He says, that's all from the 26th chapter of Matthew. And then Jack wrote, I don't know how much this pops out to the average viewer, but it instantly clicked for me and my Christian family when we first saw it and knew what, and we knew a little bit about Mark Burnett's faith and the theme for the season, blah, blah, blah. He says, I just think it's a really cool little biblical moment that not a lot of people catch. I'm surprised, Mario, you know who Jesus is. I know Jesus. Come on. I live in I live in Southern California. Half my neighbors are named Jesus. He watched The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting that there's Boston Rob is actually fairly religious in real life, so there's a whole little biblical theme with this whole touching someone on the shoulder. So there's a little backstory there. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I, I don't know how much I buy of that, but the parallels are there. You know, I mean I, I, I don't think that the author owns the text always. I think that if like you said, we're we're drawing parallels. It's there, but 
I think that this move is brilliant for so many reasons, not 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 necessarily the religious uh, uh, allegory that it goes to because of what happens from it. Let's anyway, let's go to Tribal Council. Okay, Tribal Council. And here we go, the sad saga of Matty Alrod, who has no clue whatsoever that he's going to be voted out. And let's see, a Tribal Council, this is where Philip pulls out his tattoos, which like Paul, yes. he's got the double shoulder tattoos, one of the gorilla and one of the lion. And Philip explains, I think people may have forgotten the actual explanation that if you do something against the United States, you get the gorilla. Attack my family, you get the lion. So there you go. That's your trivia answer right there. A new patriotic slogan for our great country. (laughs) (laughs) You you get the gorilla? No, you get the Harambe. (laughs) Oh, it all comes back to Harambe. Okay. So anyway, Rob touches Christina on the shoulder, not not uh, Matt. I kind of forgot about that. He doesn't trust Philip to be part of the Matt blind side, and so Philip does vote for Christina. And oh, Christina, I love when she gets tapped on the shoulder. She kind of looks around. It's like, and Rob just pats her on the back, like, "Good luck tonight." It's it's interesting because you know what it reminds me a lot of. I know we keep going back to freaking Guatemala, but it reminds me so much the way that Rob talks about Philip reminds me so much of the way Stephanie talks about Judd in the Margaret <laughs> Tribal Council, where she's like. Judd's a lot like me. He's loud. You know, he, he likes to speak what's on his mind. And Rob says, I can under I can understand where Philip's coming from. I'm also a competitor. When I lose, I internalize my loss. It's so interesting that, again, Philip is an ego that needs to be fed. And I think Rob does a really great job here of, like, finding a common ground with this outsider who, like, yes, he's a little uncontrollable, but I can control him. You know, I know the route to him. So therefore, I can keep him on a leash when anyone else can't. Yeah. And this is, again, as Jay is keeps pointing out, a solid episode for Rob. He pulls Philip into the fold, you know, works with his psychology in a way that actually works with Philip for some reason. He blindsides Matt and also gets Christina to play her idol for no reason. So she loses her idol. Matt goes home. It's just a crazy great episode for Boston Rob here, maybe his best of the season. And at the end of the day, little Matty Elra, the Christian, good Christian soldier, is blindsided by his alliance. And he is absolutely gobsmacked. And so is Andrea, who puts her hand over her mouth. She has no idea this could even be possible. And Matt is just like, my goodness, good work, guys. Like, he's so nice, even on the way out. Yeah, I mean, this is wild, though. This is the second vote of the season, and it's an ironclad 6v2, and essentially Boston Rob exchanges one ally for another. Like, it's it's wild. Yeah, big move. How, I, go ahead. How unnerving to Christina must it have been when Rob puts his hand on her shoulder? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not saying that's the reason she played her idol, because she probably was leaning toward play it anyway, but then when mm-hmm. he, like, puts his hand on her shoulder, she's like, oh, God. Not that she knows what he's doing, but also yeah. he's drawing attention to her. Like, if I were on the fence and leaning towards doing something and that happened to me, I would definitely do it at that point. Yeah. I mean, she's well, probably leaning that way anyway, but it's just psyops yeah. at this point. Yeah, 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 psychologically yeah. messing with her. I mean, Julie probably would have found it really good and also really bad at, you know, at the same time. <laughs> No, and I, and I don't I don't want to be on record. Everyone's like, well, Jay on the historian said that Rob single-handedly made Christina play her idol. It's like, no, he did not. But this also helps. Yeah, guess what? We don't need to fillet Rob any because Jeff Probst is going to do it quite nicely exactly. in the next previously on yeah. segment. <laughs> all, okay. we're, all we're saying is like Rob had to do a, did a lot of good setup. I think is is what it, it listen. It, it was an easier end game for him comparatively to some other people, but I think he does a lot of good job setting up his dominoes here. Yeah. 
he's more fun as a character than you think he is. Let's just put it that way. Also, we we glaze past it, and I just want to say that his his voting confessional in the first episode is like also super gold. I don't think we talked about it where he just is like, oh, it's so fun to play with you amateurs. You reveal so much. It's like, you know, we expect Rob to just absolutely eviscerate everybody on the tribe. But, you know, this year he's been super helpful. And, hey, do what you got. You guys know what you're doing, blah, blah. And then he gets in the voting confessional. He just lets everyone have it. And it's like, <laughs> OK, at least that hasn't changed. And, and, and we like that. But anyway, poor Maddie. Let's get him to Redemption Island. That, that's the thing, is that he has fun, right? We were a few episodes away from him tossing an idle clue into a volcano. Like, Rob, again, for the first half of this season, is having a really good time. I think it's when the post-verge hits, honestly, that the fun stops. Yeah. Okay, so so Matt has been voted out. Matt Elrod, he goes to Redemption Island, and we just get a little clip of him saying, I believe Rob has done me a favor. Rob has set me up to have the greatest comeback in Survivor history. He has given me a story, and God will help me. And so... Poor he's kind of right. He's kind of right in a way. But I honestly, I will say, I honestly really considered putting this as the number one entry on the Funny 115 because I love this so much. And I'm always surprised that people hate Redemption Island so much and say it has nothing fun in it. I'm like, oh, my God, the Matt story. That is so epic. But anyway, we'll get more to that in the future. Well, I, I, very quickly, we'll get into it. But I think that there's good and bad to it because the way the story plays out and the way they narrate it is very good as you enumerate, you know, in the 115 and all that sort of stuff. The bad being, of course, is that, you know, the producers are like, hey, we'll have Redemption Island and we'll have these duels and then someone can come back in the game. And it's like when you look at it in practice, it's Matt beat everybody. <laughs> Matt is the king of the carnival game. And you're like, so that wasn't as, you know. You, I think they were expecting like dynamics and change and zigzag and someone goes on a run and they get stopped and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it was just Matt. Yeah, but in fairness, when Matt leaves the game, he has so many fucking stuffed animals. He's won from these carnival <laughs> games. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. This one was from Shuffleboard. <laughs> the irony is he's winning them all for his girlfriend, Andrea, and then she beats him. So anyway, we'll get to that later. Okay, so... Now we get the great fellation of Boston Rob, the previously on segment at the start of episode three. Now, this episode is famous for a couple reasons. We're going to lose Russell here, which is yay. But at the start, here we go. <laughs> Jeff Probes literally says, Boston Rob was already in control of every aspect of this game. Then, last episode, he took his game to an even higher level. <laughs> and it's just... All clips of everyone talking about, oh, it's unbelievable how well Boston Rob is able to play this game. And it's just over and over just that he's going to beat you over the head that Boston Rob is the greatest player to have ever played Survivor. So we're already selling the narrative. And, you know, shame on me for not seeing this as a Boston Rob win season. Somehow I missed that. I mean, you only have yourself to blame. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I know. It was pretty obvious to the rest of us. Well, I had dry mouth, so my I wasn't cognitively thinking correctly. Dry eyes. Yeah. <laughs> were you just were you just sitting there waiting for that big Kimbo slice pop? I was waiting for it. He never showed up. It really you know, screw you, Jim Early. That's all I gotta say. Okay. So after the Matt Tribal Council, Matt goes to Redemption Island and he meets Francesca again and and Matt is like, I feel sick to my stomach. I can't believe they could do this to me. I'm such a goober now. I was such an idiot. And again, his unfortunately, his storyline will continue in that direction. But he does say it's an opportunity now. I'll be the ultimate underdog and I have the greatest comeback story ever. I'm going to come back. Just watch me. And you know what? He's right. He will come back. So we'll just watch him. Okay. So what happens here? Rob just, they just celebrate with, uh, 
Ometepe, Rob, and this is where Philip is now basically in the alliance because he's proven his worth. So they all kind of accept Philip that he can be trusted for a while. Yeah, and Rob is also he'll talk, he'll make up with Andrea later on, but he's basically like, oh, I I screwed up with her. I better make sure I smooth that over because there's a chance she might you know come back at me with with a force. Yeah, we may have a Gina Cruz situation here, <laughs> where she's pissed and gets swapped and helps vote me out. Anyway, or she doesn't help it. But long story long story short, Gina set the stage for Rob to be voted out before. Okay, so now we go to the first Redemption Island duel. This is the first one in Survivor history. And what has been lost to history, and we're hopefully here to bring it back, this was a huge deal. This was a big moment in Survivor history. What is this first duel going to look like? Well, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do know that we're going to get a lot of Eminem references in this. (laughs) Oh, my God. They have to draw. That's right. They they draw. They don't get to choose who's going to watch the duel. Two people from each tribe get to go, but they random draw, which seems like a horrible move by the producers. Well, at least for this first one, they say like, uh, all right, well, if you can't decide amongst yourselves, so they just draw it anyway. But yeah, like like was talked about, this was the beta version of this. I mean, I guess the one thing it does provide is this idea of like, okay, only only we will get to tell people what happened but otherwise it really is a big nothing burger of like yeah two people go and watch and then they tell the rest of the tribe what happened well yeah although there is a little drama in this one because andrea gets picked to go and this is right after the matt blind side so rob's worried andrea could go talk to matt they could put something together again people can kind of forget there's a new variable here that rob's trying to work around or all the players are trying to work around redemption island is still a big unknown they're not entirely sure how it's going to work and then, but yeah, also, so, we, we get to the duel, and the duel is super old school. <laughs> yeah, it's Jailbreak. It's jailbreak. It's one of our favorite carnival games, the Jailbreak. The uh, Going back to the Outcasts, I believe they did that, right? Look, you can laugh all you want, but this was not throwing a ball at a thing. I mean, at <laughs> least it was tying sticks together to make to retrieve keys. Like we, This has happened in seasons we've thoroughly enjoyed. So, you know, is this the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life? No, but hey, I enjoyed it. This one actually felt like a old school survivor, like, okay, this is like, you know, let's 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 pull up some challenges from Survivor past that are classic go to that quickly goes out the window by next week, but it was a good first attempt. Yeah, again, this is a big scene in Survivor history, and it was a big one at the time too. And Francesca gets eliminated early here. It's the longest she'll ever last in her survivor career, but she's still the first one eliminated from the season. She is, although I think people forget that Francesca gets the first two keys for the lock. She's actually leading Matt two to nothing, and then he pulls off this huge comeback and gets three in a row. Yeah, again, th- these are things that they have to equalize, because it's safe to say that I think Matt would probably beat Francesca in probably like 90% of challenges. Uh, but I, yeah, I, th- I think that they were able to find something here that makes for an interesting back and forth. Yeah. So, again, we're just kind of giving it, you know, a quick little once over. But this was a big moment in Survivor history. This duel was things was something everybody talked about. Matt wins. It's a big deal. And then I always found this funny is that later in seasons, it's like a big moment when someone is, is, you know, eliminated in a duel. How they have to throw their buff in the fire and they have a big speech about how much this has meant to them. They had one shot. Yeah. You have none of that in this one. Yeah, none of that. Francesca says almost nothing. She just leaves. Seize yourself in the music, the moment you own it. Yeah, it's you better it never let to... it go. Yeah, <laughs> you only get it one is... shot. Do not. Oh, jeez. 
Jeff Probst. When did, when did ha- they offer Mom spaghetti as a reward? Oh my lord! I just have a uh, like like a, 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 a like a, a very clear visual of him in his like trailer tent, whatever he uh, re- resides in in Survivor. Like you know, like kind of licking his fingers and like licking his eyebrows, kind of like one of those moves. Then like looking in the mirror and going one shot. Yeah, nailed it. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if we're talking song lyrics. At one point in the challenge. Jeff or Matt has his pole all built and Jeff says it's long and it's strong and I'm waiting for the Sir Mix-a-Lot part where he says and it's down to get the friction on but he doesn't quite go all the way so sadly all right so anyway Matt wins Francesca goes home and and this is where we learn Matt is basically living the nomadic life on Redemption Island he has no clothes he never brought his stuff with him when he got voted out. So he just he has a shirt on his back, and that's it. And he'll be living in the rain out there for like 20 days. <laughs> so poor Matt. But he's won the first one. He got his stuffed animal. Francesca goes home, and that's the end of the first duel. You would think that they would go back to tribal council, and they'd be like, can we bring Matt's stuff to tribal council? <laughs> like, and, and whoever goes, can you just promise to bring it to him? Like, No. I mean, this can't happen in a post-Cook Islands world, right, where there's so much kerfuffle about bringing Jonathan Penner's hat to him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Rob's like, no, he shook their hand. Piss on his clothes. Burn them. <laughs> Never. His clothes. <laughs> we all take a crap on his shirt, and then we burn it. Julie, come and piss on his clothes. <laughs> So anyway, okay. So a lot of clothes pissing going on here. I, I, she, Julie would say she really enjoys pissing on other people's clothing. It's a very, you know, fun thing to do. But she also is very disgusted by how unhygienic pissing on other people's clothing is, and she believes in karma. So watch out. I was like, it's both good and bad, right, Paul? I, I think, um, I think it could go both ways. Is she related to Dara somehow? <laughs> well, it's John lies, but he also tells tell the truth too. So, <laughs> okay. So, so back at Ometepe after the duel, we have learned that Matt has won the first duel, and Matt has vowed revenge. I will get back in the game, and I will I will lay siege to all my the naysayers. You don't believe in me, and so this is where Rob and Grant actually sweat it out a little. They're like, oh, this is not a, the variable we really expected, and this is another thing I want to point out just for historical reasons in Redemption Island is that they're playing with this variable. They don't know how it's going to play out yet. And it's very similar to, as we'll see in Blood versus Water, poor Brad Culpepper just getting raked over the coals every time because you vote someone out and then they get to air their dirty laundry against you. But it's the first experience here with Rob, and you even see Rob sweat it out a little. He's like, uh, Matt could theoretically come back. Maybe I didn't think this through well. But the other side of this is that they get to use this to troll Russell endlessly in his boot episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, two things. First, we have a scene of Rob going to Andrea, smoothing things over, basically promises her, you're you're still in the alliance, don't worry. And she's like, okay, thanks, Rob. And she's like, I don't believe him for a second, but I can't really say no, because she's not stupid. So Andrea's on borrowed time. Now we go to Zapatera, and now we get, yeah, them trolling Russell, which I, this is my favorite part of the Russell downfall. Them just flat out lying to him and saying that Matt lost the duel because they know when they vote him out, he's going to be surprised when he sees Matt. Yeah, and again, it's, it's it's one of these things that, again, like, doesn't even make sense. Why is it needed? It's not like Russell's spirit is going to be immediately broken upon him seeing Matt Elrod. But, again, this is like Russell's medicine being turned back onto him, right? The guy who burned socks and poured out water in his very first day on Survivor is now given, like, some very pithy, childish gestures to him. And so I, I love that idea. And this is all Steve. Steve Wright, my 
favorite guy on Zapatera. She says, you know what? Let's just fuck with Russell. Let's just lie to him. And then later, Russell's out searching with his alliance for the for the the idol. And Steve's like, oh, I see Russell's out there with his little harem, his little concubine. Like, <laughs> Steve just could not shit on Russell more. It's, I, I find it very, quite funny. And there's really nothing else to this episode, is there? It's really the Russell looking for idols, can't find anything. And then he and the girls make a fake one, right? This is Stephanie's idea. They, and, but they more so just like put it in a bag that she very obviously is carrying around her. At <laughs> oh, all it's times. so sneaky. She's like playing with the bag and like walking around and like, oh, look at me have a bag. And then Steve's like, do you want me to like hold that for you? No. <laughs> and, and Steve like literally says like, oh, I guess you have something very important in there. And Russell's trying to play it like, oh, yeah, I guess she does. And they're all like, this is this is terrible. This is like being in the worst improv game ever where we have to yes and all the stupidity that these three are doing. Oh, what? This bag? Oh, I didn't even notice I still had it on. Oh, silly me. Now, okay, I'm, I'm curious. Paul, especially your thoughts here. Now, Stephanie, we've already talked about. Do you uh-huh. have any, any thoughts on Krista, the third, who I always forget <laughs> is even on this season? Uh, I mean, it's pretty bad when Sarita and Julie make a oh, like, way bigger splash than her. They clearly were going for Natalie White, right? I mean, that's clearly, like, and she, isn't she even a pharmaceutical sales rep as well? Yeah, and, she and, like, she, and yep. she's also a Bible person, right? Isn't that what she and Matt bond over on Redemption Island? Yeah, I mean, so very, it's very clearly a, a Natalie clone here uh, in terms of her. So, I mean, there's 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 nothing even there to make fun of. Like, like there's nothing. I, I don't understand how she was on the show. <laughs> well, that does go back to the question at the start. Do you think the draw for the tribes was rigged? Because... Clearly, Stephanie is someone who would love to work with Russell. She's raring to go. Clearly, Krista is basically Natalie White. Was it in, like, did they really, really want Russell on this tribe? Julie and I think that they were both rigged and that they were also not rigged. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's this thing where Krista is so nondescript and Stephanie is just annoying. She is so freaking annoying in these episodes because she essentially becomes like Russell's pug, right? Like throughout these episodes, she's like, "What? Why did you throw the challenge? I can't believe this! Like, why are you trying to get rid of me?" Like, it's just she has this weird kind of haughty attitude about everything, and like you said, just the effort of look at this bag. There must be someone special in the bag. It's so cringy. <laughs> well, it's 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 again, it's that whole like. Why are you guys up? Why why are you guys ganging up on Russell when you know that the three of us are just going to take you all out? <laughs> I often wonder. Now, the four of us clearly not the biggest Russell Hans fans in the world. I wonder what Russell fans think of this episode. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what they think of this episode. Well, no, well, just... I think I think it's a little results oriented, right? Where they're like, oh yeah, but Zapatera fails after this, so like this is our the crucifixion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how the story is going to try to portray it. But yeah, it's and OK, not only this. So Russell has failed at every single thing in this season. Ralph has stolen his idol. They openly mock him. He says, you either with me, or you against me. And they laugh in his face. Now they know he has no idol. They has no power. They're going to throw. They're already talking about throwing a challenge just to get rid of this douchebag. Now we get one of the more inexplicable scenes in Survivor history, an entire five-minute segment that makes fun of Russell's armpit acne. 
Come on. That's that's also part of his, you know, his flirting with the young girls. That's step two. You know, first you uh, talk about how their names all sound the same, and then you lift up your arm and you uh, you surprise them with that. See, the thing is, Paul, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Russell tried to open this like pickup artist school and tried to do that, like rule number two: show them your bad follicles. <laughs> Bring them down to your level. Girl, girls are nasty. They love that kind of stuff. Well, to be fair, Russell has dry armpits. So he's taking medication. It moves from the mouth down to the armpits, yeah. So so what was the deal here? Was it that he, like, he shaved, his arm, he shaved his armpits, and now they're like these razor bumps got infected, essentially? Well, yeah, you just have irritated razor bumps. And there's probably some kind of uh, bacteria in them, so it's just kind of like a little rash he's got there, which... There's no reason to include this in the episode. The editors do it just to shit on Russell. Really just, they're, they want to make him look as unappealing and horrible as possible. And it's a whole segment of them just making fun of his, like, literally just looking at his armpit and talking about it, where Mike, our, our Iraqi war veteran, says, it's gross, he has a pus-filled rash. And then Mike says, all Russell does is sit in his tent with his concubines and does nothing. He's like a black hole. He sucks in energy and light, everything. <laughs> I wonder how many kids had to ask their mom, Mom, what's a concubine? I think that's what a black hole is. <laughs> this is where, this is where, I, well, how in later seasons, perhaps season 41 or so, where Jeff is going to turn to the camera and explain things to the children. I wish there'd been a concubine explanation. Here. <laughs> you see, a harem, children, <laughs> harkens back to the old days of Arabia. <laughs> but this is where so so Zapatera comes up with the plan to they're trying to figure out do we want to throw the challenge but don't worry they're going to figure out during game time with the all too surreptitious signal of a thumbs up if they're throwing the challenge yeah although I love again just so many savage quotes about Russell here's another one from Steve it's not like we'd be going down in numbers if we lost him he's not even a number <laughs> yeah the thumbs up and of course there's one person on Zapatera, Paul, who's a little wishy-washy if she wants to throw the challenge and lose Russell. Who do who, you think that who would, would be? Who would that be? <laughs> no idea. So Julie gives dueling confessional. She's like, yeah, it would be great if we got rid of him. And then another one, I don't know if we should get rid of him because momentum's very important. <laughs> and again, we get both sides from Julie, which is what Paul's referring to. We see her both sides of these opinions several times. All right, let's go to the tribal, uh, the immunity challenge. This is the where Zapatera throws the challenge to get rid of Russell Hans and end his scourge once and for all. And this is what I like to call the spinning wheel of death. This is the challenge that always uh, makes me very nervous because people's heads are dunked underwater, under the not under their own control. To be fair, I believe this is the last time they do the challenge. So at least like after this and Nicaragua, they're like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Like this is legitimately putting people in danger, drowning them every 15 seconds. Also, I believe Fabio may have peed in this water as well. Yeah, they're they're doing the they're doing the water torture challenge in Fabio's piss pool. <laughs> We've hit a new low here in the season. Okay, number nine reason why people hate the season. Too much piss water. That'd be the number one. Number one. Well, it's the number one. We number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can do a Letterman top 10 again if you'd like. Yeah. So they, they throw the challenge. Uh, Julie's not spitting and David's not sliding. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, they're throwing it. 
and ex basically except Omotepe. They're pulling a real Morgan here, right? Being like, we won, we did it. And everyone else in the tribe, like, you very clearly threw this. Yeah. Also, don't forget Steve. Steve is winded trying to spin the wheel. It's the hardest thing he's ever done. He can't possibly. So, yeah, it's very obvious. And they throw the challenge, and Russell realizes what they're doing. And, yeah, this is the sad, very quick exit of Russell hands here. Okay, one question. I know we're running late. I know, but I, I have to ask this question. Because this is a big, pivotal moment in Survivor history. That, you know, Zapatera throws the challenge. They get rid of Russell. We end the Russell era once and for all, which a lot of people, I would hope, argue was good for the franchise. But there's a question here, and Jay, I, Jay's already rolling his eyes. He knows where I'm going with this. Because by throwing the challenge, they gave Boston Rob a, a, an advantage that he won immunity for the first time in this game. He gets a clue. He gets an immunity clue because a reward came with it. Boston Rob ends up getting the idol, ends up winning the game. It's entirely possible this challenge does lead to Boston Rob winning Survivor and cementing the legacy of Boston Rob as the all-time greatest Survivor player. So the question would be, which one is actually better for Survivor in the long run as a franchise, Russell losing here or Boston Rob winning? And would it have changed if they had not thrown this challenge? Uh, I don't. To, I'm going to answer the latter question first. I don't think it would have because if the idol clue is coming in every reward, I mm -hmm. really really, really doubt that Omotepe loses seven straight immunity challenges. I have to think they win at least one, especially if if Russell is indeed this pus-filled black hole that they're saying, like, he's not exactly going to be pulling his weight in challenges. So I'd like to believe that Omotepe is going to win one eventually. A clue's going to come in it. Rob knows it, it will, and without someone like Christina around, he's going to be able to find it easily and still find the idol. Now, granted, they still might be down in the numbers in that regard, but Rob still has that idol to play around with. So I I'm not sure, because I think to Jay's point, like the whole, oh, they threw the challenge and this ruined them thing is very much overblown. I guess we'll mm -hmm. relitigate it over the, the next few episodes when Zapatera does end up losing. But I think my biggest point i would take contention with is this idea of like well because he got the 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 idol clue specifically in this reward that he ends up winning the game because they put clues in so many of those rewards it really could have come any episode after this one mm -hmm. and i agree with you i'm not i'm just bringing this up for uh discussion sakes i thought it'd be interesting for people to listen to does rob win if he doesn't get the idol clue or the idol in the in the next couple of days maybe but I think that the more accurate answer is, as Mike said, he's probably going to get a clue. And it's not like he had to have the idol to save from some this early. He's in an incredibly good spot because he set himself up very well. So I would argue that he's in a spot to get an idol whenever Owens get one or, 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 or right? things bounce his uh, against him. You know, the members, if they have another uh person up and rob doesn't get an idol absolutely i don't know we don't know but i think that just to say well rob only won because zapatera threw this challenge and therefore he got an idol clue and then an idol and blah blah, blah. it's like not necessarily maybe but not necessarily i don't know either way yeah and, and i agree and with I, that and i don't know if russell getting completely you know getting completely bodied at the beginning of this game is like good for survivor or good for anything like 
Russell's game did not change one iota over three seasons of Survivor that he played. He played the exact same way, and it had results, right? But I think that Russell's value to the Survivor franchise was never ingrained in the results that Russell got. I think after the first season, you know, with the whole, hey, Russell got screwed and bitter jury and blah, blah, blah. If he never plays another season of Survivor again, and that is the only thing he had— I think that creates this fun little legacy where like people are going to be dissecting it on podcasts for decades to come. And I mean, they're still doing it anyway, but the problem is, is that he played again and he played the exact same way and Oh look, it didn't work. And then he played a third time where everybody knew who the hell he was and it crashed and burned significantly. And the thing is, is that if, if he, if he manages to skate through and get really far and, and he still loses the final vote, which he probably would have, I, I don't know if, 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 if him getting absolutely you know, dumpstered out of this game is good for survivors. What they want is they want ratings. They want people talking about it. And I think having Russell on the TV means people are talking about survivors. So I don't know what's good either way. Yeah, no, I, 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 you all make good points. And I think you're probably right that it probably doesn't make a difference either way, but I just think it's funny that at the time, as this happened, you know, most of the audience sees Russell getting clowned and they're like, yes. And everyone's so happy. It's this huge moment. But all the people that are upset now that Rob Boston Rob won on his fourth try and it was a big deal. I wonder if they change their opinion now of this episode. If they watch it now, knowing what happened, that's all I'm I'm saying. It's just it's interesting to look at it from two different points in time. I think that there's a lot of the things in the season that don't go well for a lot of reasons. To as we are saying, Redemption Island isn't received very well over time, but. In turn, a lot of those things make it a really compelling season in the sense that everyone's like, oh, well, Boston Rob just came in and schooled a bunch of newbies and won. But it's like the flip side of the coin is Boston Rob won a season of Survivor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Russell got, you know, exited out early and he's so entertaining with his Russellness. And the other story is Russell was almost was first out on the Zapatera tribe, right? And then you have the dueling story of they brought in two returnees. One was the first out on his tribe. The other one won the game, right? And then you have the whole Matt Elrod thing in Redemption Island where, like, we have Redemption Island where people are going to duel and it's going to be back and forth. And, you know, somebody may come back in the game and it's like we have the whole Matt Elrod story, which is in some ways not very good for the season because it doesn't bring a whole lot of, like, extra, you know, people and dynamics sort of thing. But on the other hand, it makes this great Matt Elrod story. So, like, there's there's pluses and minuses either way for all of these things. Yeah, and this this comes back to the point I, bra- I raised at the beginning of this podcast, that this season is so much more fun to talk about than most other seasons, because there's lots of meta stuff going on. Okay, so uh, Omatepe has won their first challenge. Rob knows that there's a uh, a clue back at camp now that came with the reward, and he can't figure out where it was. Now, the reward for this challenge is a bunch of of comfort supplies, chairs, blankets, things like that, tarp. And in one of the funniest scenes of the season, Rob is looking for the clue and he can't find it anywhere. He and Christina are both looking for it because they're the two big idol hunters on Ometepe. And Rob only sees it because Philip is sitting in one of these hammock chairs. And because Philip is so fat, it's sagging down and he can see the clue right under Philip's butt. So he, he does point out, Rob says, uh, just because I saw Phillips fat ass sagging a chair down. That's the only reason I saw the clue. So he goes over, tells Philip, Oh, you're going to break the chair. Could you move it? I think there's a screw missing. Philip just moves over, falls asleep in another chair. And it's really kind of a, uh, classic reenactment of Lisi here in, uh, in Fiji. You got to get up pretty early in the morning to fool an old cat like me. 
as Philip literally sleeps as Rob pulls the clue out from where Philip was recently sitting. Yeah, and it's interesting that we see the, like, the dual fates of these returnees in that here we have Rob, who, you know, last time was like, what's a hidden immunity idol? I don't know what this is. I don't care what it is. Ends up getting outdone, essentially, by the idol play of someone like Russell. Now changes his gameplay, finds that idol that's going to continue to assert his dominance in the game, versus Russell, who gets, again, outfoxed at basically every corner here and just mm-hmm. goes out in disgrace. Yeah. And Rob even has a great quote here. He says, you know, the game is so different this time around. In previous seasons of Survivor, you win a reward, you come back and celebrate. He's like, there's not even any time to celebrate a win anymore because all people do is look for the idol clue. And he's like, I've ignored the idol in the past. It didn't work out for me. Maybe I'll actually try something new this time. So he looks for the idol. He finds or he finds a clue. Now, he goes on the first idol hunt, but he doesn't find it. He doesn't find the idol till next episode. But he blames it because the clue is very vague, and it basically says the idol could be somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like in a tree <laughs> under a rock. The idol is on the island. Is essentially what it says. Yeah, does he Real say helpful. what? A, what a great clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for Rob. He's got his clue. He's looking for his idol. But now we go to the end of Russell, and like I have almost no notes here because nothing happened. It's like it's because such you a cried. Portal. He cries. We'll get to that. No, no, because you cried throughout, right? I was so sad. I would never have to see it right now. This was maybe the greatest moment in Survivor history for me because I hated this guy. But yeah, so this is it. He, Russell knows he's gone. He knows what the split's going to be. He knows he doesn't have an idol. He's like, what the fuck can I do? Well, the only thing he can do is, is what he did with Tyson, right? Is convince Julie to essentially pull a Tyson, jump over with him. I, I sure hope Julie gives a good confessional about this. Oh, I'm it. She does. <laughs> um, no, I don't want to talk about Julia right this second. What I want to talk about is someone who I actually like, which is Sandra. And this night when he got out, she posted on social media like videos and pictures of her and her daughters wearing party hats. And <laughs> they, like literally had like, you know, those noisemakers. Like they went all out on this day. It was so petty, but so funny. <laughs> See, that's the thing is like, you, if you have to pick one person to mess with, do not mess with Sandra Diaz Twine because, like, she is so many things, including petty. And so, she, <laughs> if you make fun of her, she will grind your bones into dust if you ever mess up in your life again. Yeah, and that that's the kind of stuff I'm glad you guys are bringing up on historians because other podcasts wouldn't talk about the historical perspective of what it was like to watch the season as it aired. As Paul's talking about Sandra's social media party the night that Russell went out, it was great. <laughs> so, yeah, so Russell's only plan here is he he and Stephanie try to go get Julie on board, which I love that. After I wrote this down, Russell doesn't even know Julie's name; he just calls her the old lady. <laughs> not not a lot of people know these each other's names, right? Like, there's going to be one thing they said, like, oh, yeah, the old lady with the uh, with the black cat. Like, people still are not having much regard for each other in terms of names, which it's been a week. You'd think they know it. There is so much dry mouth going around this island. It's crazy. Wow, they really aren't giving water to anybody. <laughs> We're parched. So anyway, yeah, so they, they go to Julie. They're like, he vote for us tonight. It's a bad idea to get rid of Russell. Stephanie's like, Russell always goes to the end. If you're with him, we'll get there. It's sort of ridiculous. But Julie's like, you know what? I think I should maybe vote for them tonight. And because of that, I won't. But maybe I will. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Russell always goes to the end. And he brings people like me and not, I mean, you should vote with him. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, they, he in no way would choose the young hot girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially a tribal council, right? Where, like, she's saying, you know, oh, the majority of the tribe forgets that they're playing Survivor. We're getting on so well with Russell's expertise, and David's, you know, trying to talk. He's like, I'm still talking. Mouth's still moving. Jesus! Did she, I always forget, did she get voted in on Cambodia or not? She was in the, the short list, but she did not. Okay, she did not, yeah. But she was, yeah, I mean, I mean, she's at least a standout character from the season. You remember her, maybe not for the greatest reasons, but yes. Stephanie will not stop yapping for the next couple episodes. But yeah, so Russell and Stephanie think maybe Julie's going to vote for them. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. I don't know. And we go to tribal council, and sure enough, uh, it's brought up that they threw the challenge, and Mike kind of admits it. Yeah, we threw the challenge. Another anti-Russell quote, he says, we have some fat on this tribe and we need to trim it off, which is a good quote. And then this is where Stephanie starts berating them all them for throwing the challenge and everyone else denies they threw the challenge. They all say, no, I just, David's like, I just got beat. I, I'm not good at puzzles. But, uh, and then Ralph, if I recall, is speaking, but every time he speaks, Jeff has to translate for him because nobody knows what the hell he's saying. Yeah, like, oh, so what you're saying is Stephanie doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, then they all vote, and sure enough, it's six votes, and or they do a 3-3-3 split, whatever. It just takes up time. But at the end of the day, Russell goes out 6-3, to three, and uh, in the course of that, Stephanie is just berates them all. Sarita says, Stephanie, you're so rude. So there's going to be a split between Stephanie and the rest of the tribe for the rest of the way. But with that, Russell Hans, for the first time in Survivor history, has been voted out of the game, and his Keep Hope Alive tattoo has lied because hope has died. Keep hoping. Can we play Stump Paul for a second? Uh, what makes this episode different from all other episodes? What what happens for the first time in this episode of Survivor? Oh, I feel like that's so broad. Um, I don't know. This is the first three-way tie in Survivor history. Oh, this was the first one. Yeah, because, I mean, it would have happened again in Heroes yeah. vs. Villains if Tyson had it screwed it up. Right. But yeah, this is the first time they actually pull off the plan. They actually do what Rob couldn't in this episode, vote Russell off with a 3-3-3 vote. Why am I not surprised Russell was involved in the first three-way? Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, big moment in Survivor history. Most people who were watching the show remember where they were at the time. This is a big moment. You'd never seen Russell voted out, and he... Goes out like a little chump. And <laughs> again, Russell tries to have his big moment, but he, they will never let him have a big moment where after he gets voted out, Russell's like, I'll be back and be ready. And Ralph just says, oh, I'll be ready. And just does a little fist pump. <laughs> and that's it. And then Jeff will scold them by saying uh, once again, well, you just voted out one of the most successful players in the history of Survivor. The question now is, Will that come back to haunt you? And just as a producer, he's like, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes, because he wants it to. Well, this is also the tribal council, right, where he flat out says, hey, just so you know, uh, I have a feeling this is going to bite you in the ass at Merge. Does he say that? I kind of forget, but it, it will come up repeatedly. He literally says to Zapatera, you're in trouble, come Merge. Big prediction from me, but I think I'm right. Hmm. All right. So Jeff is Jim Early, confirmed. <laughs> So this is where we come to a crossroads here. We're going to eulogize Russell and say our final memories of him. Do you think we have time for a fourth episode? It's been over three hours. I will leave it up to you. I mean, how much longer do you think we'll go? <laughs> I could do the next episode in 10 minutes. It's real quick. All right. All right. I believe in you, Mario. All right. So first let me eulogize Russell, and then we'll start the stopwatch. 10 minutes. 
So, any final thoughts to say about the esteemed Mr. Russell Hans? Should we couple in here the way that he leaves, too? Because, I mean, that's also the thing, is that uh, if we're trying to give our best mm -hmm. Cartman and Scott Tennerman thing, the fact that he does go out in tears is <laughs> ironic. Okay, so we will not eulogize him yet. Let's let him get eliminated first. Okay, episode four of Redemption Island. Uh, Russell just furious that he was voted out. Uh, he wants to bitch slap every one of them. And then he goes to Redemption Island expecting to see uh, Francesca. And he sees Matt. And Russell's like, oh, Matt's here. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Which is a great moment. So Russell meets Matt. And Russell just gives his grievances. And he's like, you know, I like Matt. He's a good guy. But this isn't the real world. The good guy doesn't win. I win I here. I just want to point this out. When he says, when he got voted out and he says, I'll be back, you know, and, and I'll be ready. Like, what what's his plan? Um, I mean, we don't need we don't need to talk about it. I just want you to think about it. Though. What's what's the plan? Bitch slap Here's, is his plan. Yeah. That's the only that's the all as far as he thought. He's okay. gonna win some duels. He's gonna come back. He's gonna bitch slap them, and then he's got a, a unique strategy. He's gonna get two young girls, and they're gonna look at <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Continue. Okay. So uh, this is where Philip is gonna lose his luster. Now, for one episode, everyone in Omatepe has kind of liked Philip. But this is the episode where he's going to start sweeping and waking everybody up and being annoying again and mansplaining everybody. And, and this is where we're getting another segment, everyone laughing at his underwear. So any goodwill Philip has gained the last episode, he's going to lose here. And he's gonna, it's going to go really downhill fast through this whole episode. Were this we, is really, were, we, were we historianing by 2010? Like, were we on the air by then? No, you guys started in 2012. Okay. Oh, well, Mike was a he... stalker. Ooh, you guys, little shade there. Then, then he's, then he's, yeah. Then he's excused because, like, quite literally, we've said from the beginning, like, if the if your tribe is working, work. If your tribe is not working, don't work. Don't be the person doing the opposite thing. Like, I think Philip is so rational and intelligent in so many different ways, and then in some ways, it's just kind of like, what are you doing anyway? Okay. <laughs> Well, there, okay, there is one important thing that happens in this episode, and I kind of forgot about it, where Philip realizes he's annoying all the girls. All the young people can't stand him. He annoys them. <laughs> in his mind, it's because young people cannot relate to him, which is not quite the problem. But he does say, another side of me you needs could just, to you could just drop You could just drop young from that yeah, sentence. People. But he does say, another side of me needs to emerge. I need a new persona because this one isn't working. And this is where the wacky guy with the feather will come in later. But he does identify early. He's not fitting in. He might need to do something else. So I just wanted to file that away. He also, the dry tongue continues when he reads the tree mail and doesn't know how to say Rochambeau. <laughs> okay. So we go to Zapatera. This is the first morning post-Russell. It's like a new day has dawned. It's all everything's a little brighter, brighter. The food tastes a little better. The the mouths are a little less dry. It's just a wonderful day. And Stephanie and Krista have just checked out. They're not playing anymore. And this is where Ralph basically pulls his alliance aside, tells them he has the idol. He's like, I told you I had this game under control. So Ralph is really kind of killing it right now. And that's the entire plot of this episode. As now we go to the duel. Yeah, and you would think, I don't know, I'm surprised that he waits to tell them, because I guess, I don't know if they thought that there was going to be another idol hidden, but, like, I feel like you don't need to do all the splitting shenanigans and risk Julie flipping over if you just tell everyone they don't have the idol. Stephanie's just wielding some sort of weird clutch around camp. I have the idol. <laughs> yeah, perhaps that would have helped, but Ralph tells them now, and all is well. But, again, I just want to point out, Ralph is actually killing the game at this point. He honestly is. All right. Dual time. Time for the end of Russell. We go over to uh, Redemption Island, and it's Matt against Russell, good against evil, the 
Bible beater, Mr. Ernest against Mr. Pus-filled armpit. And uh, <laughs> I love this. They get to pick. This is the first time they get to pick who gets to see the duel. This is only the second duel in the game. And Philip wants to go. He basically nominates himself, and he invites Christina, which <laughs> not really the iconic players you want to be there for when Russell gets eliminated. But on the other tribe, you get Sarita and Ralph. So we will always have the moment where Sarita was there when Russell gets eliminated. So thank God. And what's the duel? This is the second duel. He said the first one was more epic. It was the grabbing the keys with the poles. This one is a little less epic. It's the dominoes. These are stacking. called dominoes. Yes, stack the dominoes on a little uneven platform. Whoever can get them to fall down all at once wins. And another fantastic carnival game. And of course, well, Matt claims he's going to win. Like, a, like everything, you know, it plays out because Jeff Probst is like, "There's trip wires along the way that could shake the thing and and." And cause your dominoes to fall. And it's like, maybe the trip wires were tripped during this challenge and it was a lot longer, but they didn't show us any. Just showed them, you know, <laughs> stacking the dominoes and then knocking them down. Maybe up to Yeah. <laughs> it was just one of those where, like, you know, they were stacking them. Matt goes first, doesn't do it. Then Russell goes, it doesn't work. And then Matt does it again and it works. It was <laughs> just gripping television, let me tell you. There's a trip wire that may get tripped. You know, an airplane may fall out of the sky and land on them. You never know. You just don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, Matt tries, fails, Russell tries, fails, and then Matt does it and wins. And it's the very anticlimactic ending of Russell Hans. He's eliminated via dominoes. Yeah, three-way <laughs> vote in dominoes is the way that Russell Hans loses on Survivor. <laughs> to Ralph and Sarita. Yeah, so and the, the big thing is that, uh, you know, as Russell goes through this whole speech, he puts his hat down over his eyes and he begins to cry and he gives this speech, right? Being like, I respect this game too much to go out this way. He yells at this, his tribe for throwing the challenge. It's tough to, I, it's tough to be a quarterback. I've got to run the ball. I've got to catch the ball. I've got to, you know, I play with Pee Wee Leaguers over here. Which like, I, I liked the analogy when he's like, I, I'm playing with Pee Wee Leaguers. I have to run the ball, catch the ball. And I'm sitting there going like, if you had more teammates, you wouldn't have to do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I got to find all the idols. I'm the quarterback, which is with my two girls. That's it. And let's remember that this was the man who on the first day he played Survivor poured out the water and burned people's socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sad ending. Again, it's, it's a huge Survivor figure. It goes out in the saddest, most humble, embarrassing way possible. And, you know, you have to fail a little, feel a little sympathy for the guy, but yeah, it, I it, feel it, sympathy, and and like I feel like the tears, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and uh, discern the reason behind the tears, but I think the tears are genuine, and if nothing else, that dude has literally played like many months of Survivor in like a year and a half. Like he has played so much Survivor in such a small amount of time. Like that has got to be taxing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tears are probably real, and I feel bad for him with the tears but it's it's very fitting that this is the ending that he had somebody who like you said started off the game by trying to physically hurt people and steal all their stuff yeah but again he does he plants his little russell seed here uh and where you know he basically essentially like talks ralph up enough for, to <laughs> have him admit that he found the idol uh and you know there's this God, it's just a cavalcade of stupidity. Really, it's it's dominoes, quite literally, right? Where it's like, 
Ral, uh, you know, Russell says, uh, oh, you know, these people are so dumb. Ralph's like, I'm not dumb. I found the idol before you did. And Russell's like, oh, yeah, why don't you show me? He's like, all right, I'll reach into my bag. And Serena's like, Ralph. Keep going, keep going. It's like, I faked you out, Russell. I'm just kidding. And Russell's like, yeah, yeah, I don't think he faked you out. And Philip's like, he definitely didn't fake you out. I'm a special agent. I know this. I, I got to buy the temper of his voice. And it's just like a calamity. <laughs> <laughs> when did when did Ralph turn into Hamsar? <laughs> Whoa! <beautiful. laughs> oh my He's God! Gomer Pyle. Yeah. The best. The best light is I faked you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Remember how I said Ralph was killing this game? I take that back at this point. Never mind. No, Ralph was killing yeah. this game. <laughs> Not so much. Now Ralph has killed his own game. But, but... The, but the thing is, like, nobody gives a shit except for Philip. Like, Philip is the one that buys into the stupidity, right? Of like, oh, I, he's right. Russell's right. I got him. I got him fingered right there. Oh, I've got this information. I've got the intel. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, first off, that's one of my new favorite impressions. Feel free to do Ralph whenever you want. It makes me laugh. <laughs> it's like uh, Adam and Cook Islands, which always gets me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, Russell's gone, and he says, I will never play this game again. This is my last time playing, and like the thank God see us. So anyway, Russell's out of Survivor history forever. Uh, we'll eulogize him later. Anyway, go back to Ometepe, and this is a fun scene. I always forget how many fun scenes Rob has early in the season. This is his beach day scene where he has his clue, and he wants to go look for the idol, but he can't do it with everybody around, so he just tells everyone, Let's have a fun day down at the beach, and we can play this new game called Royal Treatment. It's like a target game. and Go swimming. Just a fun day where we don't think about the game. And they're all like, yay, and they all go down. And Rob's like, oh, but my tummy, my stomach hurts. I'm constipated. And as they're down at the beach, he runs back to ostensibly shit in the woods somewhere. But he really just goes and finds the idol. And we get this big, long scene of, for the first time in his career in Survivor, Rob finds a hidden immunity idol. Now, I know, again, we sort of disputed the argument of uh, if Rob was placed on another tribe, would he not do as well? Now, that being said, if Rob was on Kasaya, he would not be able to look for the idol. Because if he said he was constipated, Courtney Merritt would be right there singing him to sleep. <laughs> I'll come with you. I'll soothe you with my dulcet tones. He's like, no, my my shitter hurts. I need to go. I'll come with you. I will I will soothe the, the savage beast. Never and then right. Naked Shank comes in like, all right, you need me to carry you? <laughs> now I'm thinking of this parallel universe where it's Survivor Redemption Island, Russell versus Bruce. <laughs> and Bruce Bruce gets some, uh, you know, he he makes like a Zen rock garden in a, in a, in a beach day. And then he's just like, I, I, I really have to, I'm going to try to poop. I'm really going to. I'm not even looking for an idol. I mean, this is something. Well, no, that's the thing, though, because he would be picking up rocks for his rock garden and accidentally find the idol like Ralph did. That's true. Yeah. You think that's, you think that's what Ralph was doing? <laughs> I can't wait to get myself a rock garden. <laughs> oh, no. It's a busting run. <laughs> yeah. You got Russell out there. Got a bunch of little butt extrusions. <laughs> so, anyway. So... Ra Ralph and Sarita go back to Zapatera after the uh, the challenge, and you know Russell's gone now, and they they all just mock Russell. That's all we do is we just mock Russell. But Sarita does point out, by the way, while he was there, Russell somehow weaseled out that uh, Ralph has the idol or whatever, blah blah blah. Russell kind of gave away all our info, and Stephanie and Krista just kind of laugh over to the side. But although I do want to point out one thing, this may make me go over the ten minutes here. 
it's often been said that there's six Zapateras and then the two girls off to the side. But if you pay attention, the two girls, Stephanie and Krista, are actually, they look like they're fairly close to two of the older members. And I don't think it's quite as drastic a split as you think it is. If you notice, they often will talk, talk to Julie and Mike. So Julie and Mike are probably the peacemakers in the middle. And the oh, girl's shock, probably shocker that Julie's in the middle and goes back and forth. <laughs> that doesn't align with anything we've said about her. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. It's probably not as drastic a split as you think it is because I think Mike and Julie have a good working relationship with the two younger girls. It's the more the Steve talking shit about everybody and David Murphy they probably don't like as much. David Murphy. Yeah, we haven't mentioned him much yet, have we? He is a contestant on Survivor Redemption Island. Well, he's going to have his much bigger moments later on. Yeah. All right, so... uh, Here's really the end of the episode. It's going to be uh, Ometepe is going to lose this episode and go to Tribal Council again, and it's going to be either— Wait, wait, no, wait, no. They they don't lose and go to Tribal Council. Zapatera threw a challenge. Therefore, they're ruined forever, right? Yeah, thank you for ruining the narrative, Jay. So what Jay's pointing out is the narrative of Survivor over the years, including from Jeff Probst himself and every Russell fan on the face of the earth, is Zapatera threw the challenge, and after that they never won again which is 100% bullshit, as Jay pointed out, because Zapatera wins the next challenge pretty handily. Yeah, it's it's big. I mean, this is also Ralph, right? Again, this is the oddest challenge I've ever seen where <laughs> they have to, like, use a toolbox to get through a variety. It almost seems like something out of, like, Tough as Nails instead of, instead of Survivor, where you're using... I mean, the challenge ends with not a puzzle, but you hammering three nails to break three tiles. It is so freaking odd, but I guess sponsorships but yeah ralph pretty much helps carry zapatera which is is funny because they have the whole toolbox right he's like let's see how well you use it but then they take a crowbar ostensibly from their toolbox to then pry open a box to then retrieve a shovel which isn't in their toolbox but is in the box and then use the shovel to dig a hatchet which is again not in their toolbox but in the ground and then use the hatchet to chop down saws which are once again not in the toolbox so it's like why do we have the toolbox? Um, I have to issue a little correction here. You guys are calling it a toolbox. It's a craftsman toolkit, which they say at least 15 times during the challenge, the craftsman memorial challenge, as they pick up their craftsman okay. tools and then climb the craftsman ramp to the craftsman ending. But Mike is totally right. It's, it's this whole thing where like they use a crowbar to get open a box, to retrieve a shovel, to dig a hole, to get a hatchet, to chop down a, a rope, to retrieve saws, to saw through a like a wall but you saw through the wall which which makes planks which then you need to assemble onto a ladder bridge to get everyone up the ladder bridge to then use a nail you have to untie a nail a hammer which you need to then use to nail down three nails and that's the game and it's it's just <laughs> it's, i don't even have I mean, words I enjoyed there was no puzzle like i like the fact that it, everything doesn't have to end in a puzzle but it was kind of weird yeah <laughs> yeah it wasn't it, throw a ball at something. That that that's nice. Or beanbags. Later on, we're gonna get beanbags. We're not in the era of beanbags yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, Zapatera wins the craftsman challenge and wins craftsman immunity, as well as a craftsman barbecue with craftsman steaks, and they're all excited. And so, Ometepe is going to tribal council again, and it's really gonna be Philip or Christina at this point. They're the only two that could really be voted for, and. We get a scene before Tribal Council, I think it's actually before the immunity challenge, where, <laughs> I love this, Philip will find some way to parlay his hand into a worse position somehow, 
that at the uh, challenge, they have learned who leads Zapatera, who has the idol, Ralph has the idol, Russell's told them all this. Phillips says, I will go tell this to Boston Rob. I will use this to increase my position in the game. So he goes to Boston Rob. He says, I know things about Zapatera. I learned at the challenge. Rob says, why don't you tell me? Phillips says, I'll do it if you protect Christina tonight. And Rob says, no, I'm not going to protect Christina. Why don't you tell me? Because we're in an alliance. <laughs> yeah. So Philip somehow parlays this into a worse political position where he ends up telling them all the intel. And all it really tells Rob and Grant is we can't trust Philip. He's not really on our side. He's on Christina's side. So now it really is going to be Christina or Philip tonight. And it's up to them to throw each other under the bus. Well, and I don't know exactly all it was said, but that's the whole thing where, where Philip's like, tell me this thing and I will... You know, and, and you need to keep Christina. And Rob's like, how about you just tell me, irregard- you know, irregardless, regardless of Christina's status, blah, blah, blah. And Philip's like, okay. And he tells him. And then when Christina goes, Philip's like, Rob did not keep his word. And Christina was like, did he not? Is that okay? <laughs> but I also love that Philip can't broker, because again, he's Mr. Honesty and Loyalty. He can't do like, all right, I'm going to bring you in. It's more so like, uh, I'll bring you in. You won't be first. You'll maybe be fourth. I'm like, I'll, I'll get you like a week in this game, maybe with this high prestige information that the woman with the black hat is running the game. <laughs> He's like Terry Dietz. You can take another week off and just sit pretty. Yeah. Nothing bad will happen for a week. But yeah, Rob has another great quote. Just Rob one-liners in this season are outstanding where Rob just says, where Philip says, how about I tell you the info and then you give me what I want? And Rob's like, hey, dumbass, aren't you in my alliance? Don't you work for me? <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah, so the whole thing is uh, is Christina and Philip throwing each other under the bus. And the tribe hates Philip. They all want to get rid of Philip. Grant, the girls, they all cannot stand Philip. But Rob's going to use a little of his capital here. He wants to protect Philip because Philip is like his ace in the hole. I could use him as a boat later. And he somehow pushes them to Christina because she's more dangerous and she looks for idols. I don't want her around. So Rob throws his weight a little around here. Yeah, but there's also this weird scene, right, where she's just like sitting at camp being like, there's got to be a clue in that. And Natalie's like, oh, it's weird. Does she have the idol? Does she not? Either way, she was a dead woman walking, essentially. Unless Philip massively screwed something up, she was always going to be the third person voted out here. Yeah, that was the thing. She was dead the first day when Rob spotted her looking for the clue. And that's what happens. It's a uh, it's a very close vote. I kind of forgot it was so close. It was four to three. There really is a little bit of a split. But Christina does go home. Rob gets rid of, again, he got rid of... Uh, Matt, who was a huge threat to him earlier, he gets rid of Christina, who he knows is another huge threat to him earlier. And he honestly, there aren't too many threats left, although maybe you could argue Grant and Andrea probably at this point. But he's slowly but surely getting rid of people that could get rid of him. And uh, that's the end of the first episode, although this is where we do get the quote of Tribal Council where Philip says, when I say things are the truth, I always put the shepherd stamp on what I do. I love it. It's such a stupid thing. And I'm honestly not surprised. I mean, Boston Rob is the one that puts out like the merchandise afterwards, right? I think if Philip was more so in that way, he would definitely put out a shepherd stamp. Wait, he put out a book. He had a lot of merch. He was trying merchandise too. It just I guess, didn't well, work yeah, no, well. no, he wrote more so fiction than nonfiction. Yeah. I mean, but, so that's, but, go ahead. but in a way, like, again, it's a logical thing. Like, I think, you know, when you look at coach, cause we're, we're, we're paralleling coach a little bit with Philip, but like mm-hmm. coach was like, I want to bring warriors to the end, you know? And it's this whole thing. Like, you know, he's just looking for, you know, people that he finds worthy in some way, but you know, what coach finds worthy is questionable on all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but Philip is all about, like, I, I work with somebody like this where Philip's like, do not lie to me. 
you know, like I want, I want people who are going to be, who have integrity and, and, and whatnot. And that is what is important to Philip with all the window dressing that Philip is. He's like, I, I do not, I want to be in a, in an alliance where I am not lying and people are not lying to me. And it is this sort of, you know, honesty and integrity that we have, which will move us forward. Right. And so with Philip, you, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a long leash. Right. So it's one of those things where like the minute he senses you're lying to him, it's you have lied to me. You are done. And, and it is it is so simple when you follow that logic with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but that's to his detriment because Rob, you know, <clears throat> Rob just uh, plays games with people like that that are so honest. And earnest. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Rob is just going to toy with him. And Philip should be next. Now, it's to either his credit or a lot of uh, lucky things that happen in the game that he's not next. Philip's going to go surprisingly far. But at this point, he should be next. It should be the five, whatever uh, Ometepe is against him. But, uh, yeah, that's where we stand at the end of episode four. We got Christina headed off to Redemption Island to face Matt in a duel. And we uh, that's where we stand. It looks like at this point in the game, Zapatera is probably going to win. They're the dominant tribe. And if you look at them, it looks like someone like Mike is probably going to win as the strongest player. And I think that's it for this uh, episode. If we we never did eulogize Russell, but I realize as I'm going, I don't really want to. I don't care. <laughs> well, see, any, I, I want any last to, words? and then yeah. I also don't want to. So, like, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Anybody want to say anything about Russell that we I have was, not mentioned? I was going to pull a major league and just be like, got any other words? Uh, no. Not the best color man in the league for nothing. All right, so I think that's it, Mike. We we yada yada over you. Anything to say about Russell? No, I mean this. I think season took a big hit for him. Uh, he even says, you know, this is a uh, this is the last time that I'm going to be playing. Like it was very clear this was just a big shutdown mistake for Russell. And like you said, it was sort of like a. Uh, damned if you're do, damned if you don't. Russell fans were like, oh, this season sucks now, I'm not watching. Russell haters were like, yes, but it now it leads to like this really sucky season. So again, we're living in the good times right now, and uh, we shall see what's to come in the next batch here. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't watched episodes like 5 through 10 in a while. I just remember the Matt Elrod storyline. Honestly, don't remember what happens in the next episode. So I'm kind of cringing now with the way you guys have built up how crap crappy the next episodes are. Like <laughs> our part two may not be quite as fun. Yeah, the the merge episode is the other highlight of the season. I would say the first three episodes and the merge episode are by far the best parts of the season. Everything else around that, maybe not so much. <laughs> Although we have not had nearly enough Jessam Herring yet on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> more more will come out, I'm sure. I wouldn't say we've been missing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anything else to add before we sign off for this one? I think we've done a pretty good job with four surprisingly fun episodes in a season that everyone seems to hate. But like, I honestly enjoyed myself with these ones. These are, this is a fun start to a season at this point. Redemption Island had not really done anything wrong as a season. I would say, and I will take your silence to mean you agree with me. Good. All right. So I think, uh, that's it. Uh, Until next time, thank you for listening. Uh, As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Osselson, and also not Paul (laughs) Osselson. And we'll be back soon with part two of Survivor Redemption Island. Until then, watch out for the dry mouth. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Y'all come back now, you hear?
going to be all right. Russell, is it sadness that you're out of the game? Is it embarrassment at finally losing? No. I respect this game too much to go out this way. And, uh, you know, people like my tribe that throws a challenge just to get rid of me because I'm Russell. Not even worried about Boston Rob and his team and numbers. So it's hard to be a professional quarterback and have peewee leaguers on your team because I got to run the ball. I got to catch the ball. I got to throw the ball. I got to do everything. I don't hardly think so. I thought we'd done great. Russell would not show us the hidden clue where the idol was hid. But that was beside the point. I'd already found it in 15 seconds at the game. He got competition on his hands now. Listen to him talking. He, he said he found it 15 seconds in the game. Did you show me the idol? There you go, guys. He has the idol. I faked you. He faked me. <laughs> wow. Whoa. He has the idol. He's such a good player. He's telling you everything he has right now. Take him out. It'll be you easy. Word, I show Look you how one? easy it's going to be. See how I bluffed him? So, Ralph, you're saying your whole story of 15 seconds in was actually a lie. Could be and could not be. It was not a lie. <laughs> it was not a lie. I earned my living discerning whether or not someone's telling the truth or not. You're doing great. And you have an idol. You'll probably get an opportunity to use it if I have anything to do with it. Okay. And uh, she's in charge. And Mike and Steve, their team as well. Well, I'm glad I came. <laughs> Princess Quack.